Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us for another episode of Spooky Chicks and Horror Flicks. We are your hosts, Emma. And I'm Allie. Or? <laughs> Little rat girl. <laughs> or Allison or Louise or whatever you like. Forgetting. <laughs> whatever you like to call me, dears. And for those of you that don't know us, we are two best friends who like to drink wine and or white claw. <laughs> And talk about our favorite horror films. So getting right into it, Allie, what film are we going to be reviewing today? Today's a special one. They're all special, you guys. But today we were reviewing the 1980 film by Stanley Kubrick, The Shining. I don't know why I felt the need to take a deep breath after that because this film, she thick. She thick and she long. She thick, she long. She got girth. She got girth. She's girthy. Yeah. Let's call her Gertrude. Oh, I like, like that. Gertrude. Yes. <laughs> I understand your references. You understood immediately. Yes. <laughs> yeah, before we dive like into the film too, I want to give a quick spoiler alert. I'm sure that many of you that are listening have seen The Shining or have seen parts of it. It is a truly iconic film based off of a Stephen King novel, but... We are going to be really getting deep and talking in all aspects of the film. So please stop now if you have not seen the film and go watch it or, you know, you can proceed with caution. Yeah, we're getting deep with that girth and excited to <laughs> how to do it. You put it right there for me. <laughs> so proceed with caution or you've probably seen it because this has been around for now math. 43 Three years. years. So Alison. Rat girl. Yes. <laughs> what have you been up to since our last episode? Um, Kind of a lot of shit, actually. Obviously, it's the holiday season and it's Emma's birthday season. Mm. We had a fun little celebration. What did we do, Emma? Whoop, whoop. Surprise, surprise. We went to a winery. <laughs> um, shout out Caruth Winery in San Diego. It was fantastic. And then we went to dinner at one of my favorite Italian places afterwards. Dost thou live deliciously, <laughs> as Black Philip would say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We lived deliciously that night. Yes. You're welcome <laughs> for your for the Black Philip reference. That's your birthday gift. I appreciate that. But also, obviously, it's been Christmas festivities, lots of family time, which has been awesome. And I can't believe it's almost the end of the year. By the time this comes out, it'll be the new year. Yeah. For everyone listening right now, recording this, we are in that weird time frame of like the few days after Christmas and before New Year's where you just like, I don't even know what day it is. I don't even know what time it is. There are no windows in here. Yeah. <laughs> I'm and trapped. I saw a meme and it said, I'm full of cheese and really confused about what day it is. I was like, that is so perfect. Wow, that literally is us. That could not be more us. It embodies the week between Christmas and New Year's. But 2023 can low-key fuck off, but it also had amazing stuff like us starting this the pod. The pod. I know. Yeah. So that was a major highlight for me is us all getting together and joining this amazing community, which we can't wait to continue into 2024 and the years to come. I also loved that Kevin and I got to move and we adopted two kids. They're my cats, not real kids. Yeah. You kind of had a big year. Had a big year. Lots yeah. Of good stuff. And took some awesome fucking trips. I got two tattoos Went to Mardi Gras, went to Jackson, went to New York. So it's been a good year, but I'm ready for a change. 
I kind of feel the same. Like I loved 2023 and I also did like some fun stuff. Like I went to New York for the first time. Also not with Allie, but, but did go like a couple weeks, I think before her mm-hmm. got to visit my really best friend, Shannon, who lives there now. And also went to Tulsa, Oklahoma for the first time. <laughs> That's for the a, producer's for the film. producer's film premiere. It's called Mile Marker 64. You Watch can find it on, it on YouTube. YouTube. And yeah, what else did I do? I feel like I had a couple of little trips. I got to visit my one of my other best friends, Shelby, in Carmel, where she lives. And she also just recently asked me to be her co-maid of honor. <gasps> Go Shelby. Yay. So yeah, it was a good year for sure. But I'm definitely looking forward 100%. to 2024. And all of the films we're going to review in 2024. And also, too, for any of you guys that are going to be at CreepyCon in February, we are going to be there. So it is in Ontario, California. And I believe it's like the very, very first weekend of February, mm-hmm. like the third, fourth and fifth. And we will be there and we are so excited every time we get to go to like a spooky event or convention. We just get to meet so many amazing people and everyone is just, I know we've said this so many times, just the nicest humans and the best like horror community ever. So we are very, very excited that will will be there this year. In the spirit of the upcoming new year, Emma, what are you drinking? What are we cheersing to? <laughs> I actually went a step above 7-Eleven. Hey. And I got myself a Sauvignon Blanc called Chloe from Costco. Oh, you Costco <laughs> Costco girly. <laughs> I literally saw it there this morning and was like, I'm going to try that. So here it is. <laughs> Costco gives me anxiety. That's a story for a different day. Yeah. I mean, me too, for sure. But, but their pizza and hot dogs are really good. Yeah. I, what are you sorry? I, what are you drinking? <laughs> I know. I've got a couple beverages right in front of me right here. I've got my classic White Claw. Please sponsor me at some point in my life. I would that would that would make me so happy. <laughs> And then I also have one of my favorite drinks from a local coffee shop called Better Buzz. Shout out Better Buzz. Also sponsor me for San Diego natives. They're all throughout the county. Um, I spiked it with some coffee liqueur. Oh, you did? Yes. Nice. Yeah. What kind? Annie Palmer. Shout out Annie Palmer. My uh, mom's best friend and my friend too made it from scratch. What? So I'm not sure what kind, okay. but it's got alcohol Can I dive in into it. some of that maybe Absolutely. a little bit later? Wow. Yeah. I love that. And I also have water because hydration. Well, cheers, Ali, to our last episode of the year, which is kind of crazy. And cheers to 2024 and all the good stuff it's going to bring. Cheers to 2024, us whores. Get it? (laughs) Yay. Like whores. (laughs) Like H-O-R-R-O. Oh, yeah. Horrors. (laughs) (laughs) I tried. Okay, so uh, now we are diving into our trivia segment. So for those of you that are just listening for the first time, we like to have a few trivia questions at the very top of the episode that our producer has already picked out for us. We have no idea what they are. And so we go through them right now at the top of the episode. Ali and I will write down our answers. And then, you know, if you guys want to play along, we just ask that you tuck your answers away until the very end of the episode when we do the big reveal. So Ali, question number one where does danny first see an apparition of the grady sisters oh that's a hard one question number two (laughs) according to mr ullman what year was the overlook finished being built oh i have this vividly in my mind so do i for some reason when it's finished right yeah watch me get it wrong (laughs) (laughs) okay and our final question is what year was stephen king's the shining released i got this one shit Shit. I don't know if I have this one. 
So another reminder to please tuck your answers away until the end of the episode when we reveal the answers to our trivia questions. Okay, so before we start to actually get into like the basic info of the film and everything, I want to give a quick synopsis. So for The Shining, a family heads to an isolated hotel for the winter where a sinister presence influences the father into violence while his psychic son sees horrific forebodings from both past and future. I think that's pre- that pretty much sums it up. Yeah, I would agree. <laughs> Ali literally asked me right before we recorded. She's like, can someone actually tell me what this film is about? Genuinely, please <laughs> tell me. There's a lot of theories out there. There's a lot of just thoughts and myths that people have. And it's also, it definitely veers away from the book, The Shining by Stephen King, which I have. So I'm trying really hard to be very objective only on the film side. We will bring up the book a little bit. Yeah. But mostly just try and talk about the Stanley Kubrick style film interpretation, yes. if you will. Yes. Speaking of, as hopefully a lot of you know, this is based on a Stephen King novel called The Shining. Also, Emma was telling me this is our first Stephen King adaptation review, and that, that's boggling my mind. I know. I How know. is it? We love our Stephen King. He's a king. He, he is a king, for sure. And I want to go to Maine just because of him. Totally. But also like lobster and nature. So maybe I just want to go to Maine. Yeah. I think that there's there's a lot of positives. There's a lot of positives there. <laughs> so this movie is based at the Overlook Hotel, fictional hotel. But he was inspired to write this after he visited the Stanley Hotel in Estes Park, Colorado. And he was visiting it with his family. And they were the last guests there before they closed up Shop for Winter. So this is a whole inspiration moment for him. Yeah, and the King family, so his family, they actually stayed in room 217 at the Stanley Hotel in Colorado, and it was what inspired like the haunted room in his novel, and we're going to get into this a little bit later, but in the movie, the number of the hotel was actually changed to 237 because people that were actually staying at the Stanley Hotel like didn't want to re- reveal like the real number of it to kind of get people to not want to stay in that room, basically. Although it could be a good marketing ploy. That's exactly what I thought, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> and someone here has been to the Stanley Hotel. I I have. Yes. I actually went to a wedding a few years back in Estes Park and made it a big point to visit the Stanley Hotel. And I actually bought a wine glass while I was there that says like the Stanley Hotel, which I was drinking out of when I was watching the film. Love that. At least I, yeah, (laughs) very meta. So this film is directed by Stanley Kubrick, and there's a lot of controversial opinions about Stanley Kubrick, and just a couple that are kind of like overarching a lot, like around a lot of his different films is he is known for being like a major perfectionist. Just he will do many, many rounds of a scene. He is very, very critical, I would say, of the people that he has cast in his films and wants to really get like the best out of them. So some people have said that some of his just like the way that he runs things can be a little bit harsh, especially towards like some of the actors. A, a lot of people do find it a little controversial how he treated Shelley Duvall mm-hmm. during this film because he was really hard on her. But she has actually come out and said multiple times after the fact that she does believe that him being so hard on her kind of helped to give like her best performance. It's like how actors can be method. I feel like yep. he was trying to make her method in their relationship and he just kind of fucked with her a little bit totally to make that influence on the character she played 
plays in the movie. But like Emma said, he's been known for doing multiple shots, like 70 plus. I don't know if that's accurate, but I've seen so many numbers of really ridiculous amounts of shots to get the right one that he wanted. And if you recognize that name, it's probably because he's done a couple other pretty iconic films like A Clockwork Orange, 2001 A Space Odyssey, and then Eyes Wide Shut. (laughs) Don't get me started on that one. But he did that as well. And I guess Lolita, which is kind of crazy. Yeah. And Barry Lyndon and Full Metal Jacket, Dr. Strangelove. So there's like quite a few that are extremely iconic. And this film actually has an 8.4 out of 10, which might be the highest that we have seen so far for a horror film that we have reviewed thus far. On Rotten Tomatoes, the tomato meter score of 83, which is pretty on par with the IMDb score, an audience score is 93%. That's, That's huge. (laughs) I'm like, what am I missing? (laughs) Ali, is this a spoiler alert on your thoughts on the film? Don't I always shit on things? (laughs) This is why we work well together. We've got differing opinions. Some cool stuff about this is it was filmed mostly in the UK on film sets, but the exterior of the hotel was filmed in Oregon. And I've actually been to that lodge where they filmed that. That's super cool. And then they also filmed part of it in Glacier National Park, Montana, which I've also been to. And for some of the interior shots, too, of the Overlook Hotel, they actually based a lot of it off of the Awani Hotel, which is in Yosemite. And if you have had the pleasure of visiting that hotel, it is absolutely beautiful. It has so much beautiful like Native American influence, and it's just a gorgeous hotel that has the test of time and people still stay there mm-hmm. um it's kind of like on the fancier side i would say in yosemite right like 100 um, and i mean i used to be like that would be my dream to have like my wedding there one day but there's no way i can afford that well it's like you got <laughs> money if you stay in there yeah. so invite me please <laughs> yeah if you're going to yosemite soon or plan to just stop by the Owani, get a snack they have great popsicles it's a really really beautiful hotel and you'll see that influence in the film yep yeah, and actually the the main lounge that Jack spends a lot of his time in is based on the Awani Hotel and also the famous elevators, which we're going to mm-hmm. get into as well. Aside from those fun facts, I think we can probably dive into some of the top build cast. Let's do it. So a lot of these actors... Well, I would say like two of them are super, super famous nowadays and have been in lots of different films. And I think one thing that I really like about this film, which I talked with Ali about, is that there's really only like four main characters. There's a lot of, you know, supporting roles and things like that. But for the majority of this film, we really are only seeing the Torrance family. And so Jack Nicholson plays Jack Torrance. And this is kind of funny, but Stephen King actually tried to talk Stanley Kubrick out of casting Jack Nicholson in this lead. He wanted either like Michael Morardi or John Voight. He wanted him or those guys to potentially play Jack in this film. And Kubrick was also thinking about Robert De Niro and Robin Williams. Yep. Can yeah. you imagine? <laughs> I'd like, I would actually kind of love to see Robin Williams as Jack. That might like literally spoil my childhood. Well, yeah, a I'm not fine. Yeah, a little terrifying. He kind of felt that watching either of like these other men that are kind of more normal looking kind of gradually descend into madness as he does in the film. It just would have improved like the whole dramatic like effect of like the whole storyline because Jack Nicholson sort of already has a scary look to him. He's just like intense. Dude, 100 percent. Like his eyebrows are intense. His like kind of evilish smile. So I think like Stephen King, especially in the book, it's, it's just more described as like a very normal looking man, you know. 
I would not say Jack Nicholson is a normal human. No, no, no. <laughs> like, all I can think about when I look at him in this movie is the 1989 Batman film. Oh, my God, yes. Where he plays the Joker. And he looks wild in it, that. Yeah. Google yeah. it if you haven't seen it. Oh, my God. I also, please go see it. Yeah, actually, just watch it. Also, my favorite Jack Nicholson movie is The Departed, but oh, that's just that's a, a little one. sprinkle for you. And then our next person in the cast who's like our top build is Shelly Duvall. Hi, I'm Shelly Duvall. Hi, I'm Shelly Duvall. Dude, I don't remember her from anything. What? Yeah. Hello, Popeye. I No. No? Oh my gosh. Well, she's the best. She's iconic. So she plays Wendy, Jack Torrance's wife. So Wendy Torrance. And actually her story in this is, it's a little sad. Obviously things are Gucci now and she's fine, but it was known that throughout shooting the film that she actually suffered from several nervous exhaustion episodes, including a physical illness. And she also had a bit of hair loss just from like the stress of the film. So what I was going to say is like homegirl looks like she has the kind of hair that I do. And if you have that kind of hair, you need every strand. So I <laughs> yeah, feel bad. Yeah, she's got like thin, just like black hair that looks very stringy. I've got blonde hair, but it's all fake and stringy. <laughs> so you got to save those strands. Yeah. But Jack Nicholson initially wanted Jessica Lange to play Wendy. Yes, yes, I did read that. And yeah. I'm like, okay, queen, I love her. Yeah, we actually do love Jessica Lange. But I think Shelley Duvall, and if I call her Shelley Long in this movie, I apologize. I think that was the lady from the Brady Bunch. I'm not really sure. But I think Shelley Duvall has the right amount of, not weakness, what's the what's a better word? I mean, I Vulnerability. Think, yes, and I again, I want to be really careful not to like divert to the book too much, but I did understand like the thought of having like Jessica Lang or someone of that nature because in the book she's like much more of like a cheerleader type that's sort of like never been met with any adversity in her life yeah. you know and so it's like that much more terrifying what happens to her because she's like never had anything tragic happen to her where Wendy Shelley Duvall has been through some shit she's and been it's through clear. shit yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And then our next top star is Danny Lloyd, who plays, you guessed it, Danny in the film. And he is the young son of Jack and Wendy Torrance. And he actually had a really good relationship with Stanley Kubrick. And in interviews as Danny Lloyd was an adult, he mentioned that Kubrick used to play ball with him. And even for years after the movie was done, Kubrick would actually send him Christmas cards and even phoned Danny to congratulate him for his high school graduation. Well, and I think that I read that Kubrick not babied him, but kind of nurtured him and wanted to protect protect him and his, yeah. you know, his young soul and nature. Totally. And so he told Danny Lloyd that it was a drama, not a horror film. Mm -hmm. And he didn't actually see the final cut of the movie until he was like 17. That's crazy. I know. I mean, but kind of get it, though. Protect the kid. Yeah, protect the kid. And then our last kind of big star cast in this film, and he is arguably my favorite character. Oh, same. Love him. Is Scatman Crothers. Yes. And his real name is actually Benjamin Sherman Crothers. And he plays Mr. Holleran, who is the head chef at the Overlook Hotel. And Jack Nicholson actually suggested that Scatman played this role in the film. And he had a really tough time on this movie with Stanley Kubrick, making him do over 100 takes, allegedly, for one scene and Crothers next film which was Bronco Billy in 1980 was directed by Clint Eastwood who was actually very famously known for only going with one take so I think that was definitely like a relief for Scatman and he actually broke down into tears of gratitude on his first scene in Clint Eastwood's film when he realized he wouldn't have to do so many endless takes. Oh poor dude I read I, I read that he cried on set of The Shining because yeah. like Kubrick was like so freaking hard on and him. He's like bro what do you fuck what do you want from me I'm 69. Yeah like leave me alone bro but he, he is a gem an absolute 
absolute gem. He is what I would call the the hero of the film. I love it. Yeah. No, he he's the best, and he's definitely my favorite character too. And I'm yeah. just like, love you, Scout Man. What a cool fucking name. I too. know. Yeah, I was like looking at the origins of like how he got that name and stuff, and it's like does scat, he do scat work? Scat. Well, scat was like a famous type of music. like music, yeah. and yeah, he just like he ended up having that name, and I just love that that's his like actual accredited name, like is Scat Man Crothers. R.I.P. Scat Man. Yeah, we love we you. love you. And then just a couple more fun facts, but this does take place in Colorado, kind of like we mentioned before about five hours outside of Denver. Real Estes Park is only about like an hour and a half to two hours, but it's supposed to be like a good ways outside of Denver so that it really kind of portrays that like in the mountains far away feel. And there were so many changes actually to this script during shooting that Jack Nicholson, I guess he would stop reading it. He would only Mm -hmm. read the new pages that were given to him on the actual day he was filming. He said eventually if he was presented with a revised scene, he would actually just throw it in the trash because he just knew that like another one was coming his way which I, I thought was funny I honestly like don't know if I could work with Kubrick I get it I get it you're yeah. go off Kang you're an artistic <laughs> genius and he wanted to film all the scenes in sequential order yeah that seems like such a waste of time and resources <sighs> and money yeah so I'm like go off I get your artistic needs I think but, I would have like, cried I'm weak I'm also weak <laughs> I would have act probably felt like I could do it but I probably would have cried I sympathize with Shelly Duvall I might have broken yeah. so good for all of you <laughs> The break us like a horse. Yeah. <laughs> like a horse. Like a wild Mustang. Is that a saying? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, you break a horse, right? One thing that we also didn't really talk about, but I do want to mention it real quick, is that Stephen King had a great dissatisfaction with Stanley Kubrick's adaptation of his book in this film. So actually later on, there was another re-adaption as a 1997 miniseries that followed Stephen King's book a lot more closely that Stephen King was a lot more happy with. So just keep that in mind that what we're talking about is the film version. But honestly, I do encourage everyone to read Stephen King's Mm -hmm. The Shining because it is different from the film and I don't know I feel like I have a lot of thoughts having read it like after I saw the movie so let us know what you think if you if you decide to read it and again we love our Stephen King 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 Stephen he's a king I read that he was like fucked up when he contacted Kubrick about potentially working with him on this film oh yes 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 and he didn't even like remember contacting Kubrick yep and then they obviously proceeded to do it so (laughs) I hope Stephen King contacts us one day and he's like I'd love to collab and I'll give you all the tea yeah (laughs) he would be the ultimate interview on our podcast tea king yeah tea king (laughs) (laughs) and you know a couple other notes is that during the shoot the Wimbledon tennis tournament was actually in full swing in the UK and I thought this this was funny because Jack Nicholson is like an avid tennis fan he's also a big sports fan like he's often seen at lakers games in la he was a real big sports guy and he actually like kind of faked a little bit of back pain so that he could ask for a few days off and it was really funny because he ended up going to wimbledon and stanley kubrick actually ended up seeing him on tv in the wimbledon crowd by two women and he was furious about the whole thing because jack had basically like lied about his back pain so he could just go to wimbledon for a couple days I like want to meet Jack Nicholson because I can't tell if he's creepy or a player or a little bit of both. I think he's both. I feel like he will seduce you. He probably would. <laughs> he probably would. Haven't you seen all those movies where he gets oh, the yeah. younger women? I'm like, oh, yeah. okay, all right. Oh, yeah. Okay, fuckers. We're going to dive right into The Shining. 
It's a very long movie. So <laughs> bear with us. We'll keep it done or condensed as much for as you. we can. As much as we can. Yeah. Feel free to skip. Yeah. No, don't. Oh, just kidding. We're funny. Come just on. kidding. Listen. Take a listen. Take a listen. <laughs> Throw us a bone here. We watch this for you. You can listen to this for us. Whoa. All right. Oh, wow. You heard the lady. We open with some aerial footage of some really pretty scenery, and that's actually in Glacier National Park in mm. Montana. That's a pretty lake. And the road they're driving up, this kind of crazy windy road, is going to the Sun Road. And if you've been to the park, you know that's pretty infamous, kind of scary road. Not in Colorado, but you get it. And something that both Emma and I thought was sort of LOL was the title scene and the font and how everything was presented. It's like aqua blue in this really weird like crayon font, just The Shining. It literally is like a Stanley Kubrick film, yeah. The Shining. And it looks like something I made on PowerPoint in like eighth grade. Yeah. I'm like, I guess Canva wasn't a thing. Well, and then I was like thinking back then, I'm like, are, like were title sequences that like poorly done? But Not then I was like, Halloween. No yeah. Halloween. I'm thinking like Star Wars mm-hmm. even. Like, hello. I don't know. I'm sorry, Stanley. But for as much of a freaking perfectionist as you are, you drop the fucking ball on that one. And I'm like, let's go ask him, was this intentional? But we can't. R.A.P. So we see this yellow brown VW bug going up this road kind of ominously with the music. Like, change the music, put on some Taylor Swift, and it's a whole different movie. So true. It's like so a, true. But this music is ominous as ominous, hell. Ominous, Yeah. yeah. So then after we have this kind of opening sequence, which is, again, like Ali said, this shot, it's like a it's a helicopter shot, too, which I think is really impressive because like immediately when I'm watching it, it's this overhead shot of the car driving, you know, on the road and through these like trees and stuff. And in your head, as we've had so many films nowadays that do these like overhead shots with drones, I was like, wait, I have to think about how there were no drones back then. So this had to have all been with a helicopter. So I thought that was really impressive. But we get to a part where... Where the screen just says the interview. And so now we are walking into the hotel. Jack, played by Jack Nicholson, is there. There are still some guests that are kind of in this really beautiful mountainous hotel. You can tell that it's not quite like wintertime. It's still kind of maybe a little warm out, but there is a little bit of snow kind of up in like the high parts of the mountains. And Jack is having an interview with Mr. Allman. And again, like we mentioned, the interior is greatly based on the Awani Hotel. So there's definitely like a lot of Native American influence. And it's just really just a beautiful hotel. And as Jack is kind of waiting to meet with Mr. Ullman and he's all dressed up for this interview, we actually then get a shot of Danny and Wendy. And they are back at, you know, what is presumably their home while Jack is out having this interview. And they're talking about being up at this hotel all winter. And she's kind of talking to Danny about, you know, his imaginary friend, Tony. And she's like, do you think Tony's going to have a lot of fun? Like, you know, blah, blah, blah. And and he kind of says in his little Tony voice, which we will come to know very well throughout the film, he kind of says, Tony doesn't want to go to the hotel. And he like takes his, you can't see me, but he takes takes (laughs) his little index finger and kind of like is like, Tony doesn't want to. I'm staring right into Emma's (laughs) eyes and she's like looking at me doing the thing. Um, And this is essentially Danny's like only friend is Tony. So we get that little kind of glimpse into their home life and they're all kind of preparing for this like, you know, hotel stay that we don't know much about just yet. And then we're back in the interview and he's meeting Mr. Ullman and they talk about how Jack is actually formerly a school teacher. 
And so I had a lot of questions at this point because they never go into like what happened and why Jack is no longer a school teacher. But they just say, oh, Jack, you know, you were highly recommended by some of our friends in Denver. I know you were a school teacher or you are a school teacher. And he says formally a school teacher. And it was in Vermont. So that he moved all the way across the country to... For this like potential opportunity. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. I have a lot of questions about like why I have so many questions. Just knowing what I know. And you guys will will get there. But you know, I'm like, why were you formerly a teacher? Anyways, and now he says that he is a writer. He says he's looking for a change and he's like looking forward to just some solid time that he can work on his writing. And Mr. Allman explains to him, he's like, we close this hotel from October to May. And the reason that we're not open, even though that's like peak kind of skiing and snowboarding season, I don't even know if people were really snowboarding that much back then, but peak skiing season is that the winter is just too intense for them to stay open and to keep all of the roads plowed and everything is just kind of like doesn't make sense for the cost that it would take for the hotel to do it. But hear me out. Does it make sense that they need to heat the hotel for the caretaker's family and like keep all the power on for the caretaker's like three people living in a massive hotel? You're still paying for power and heating and all that shit. I thought about this, too, because there definitely is an offset in costs, like, right, because you're losing money in the months that the hotel is fully closed, right? So no guests are there. And Jack is here interviewing for this position of like the hotel caretaker during this time. And so to Ali's point, they want him to keep the hotel kind of bits and pieces of it running, because if they heat parts of it at certain times and keep things on, it like somehow will kind of offset any like damage that could be happening in the wintertime. And I did think about this and I'm like, well, they are saving money because they're only paying probably Jack just this one wage or like salary. But then, yeah, they are losing money by not having guests, but maybe they already offset that cost by charging up the ass during the months that they are open. Totally. And you're not paying your entire staff. Exactly. That's my thing is like, Jack is essentially the only person getting paid here. Wow. Hospitality career people. Did we just... Yeah. Does this make sense? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let us know. <laughs> and yeah. So then again, Mr. Allman's kind of like, we're closed and, you know, Jack is going to have to do some small pieces of maintenance throughout the winter just to keep everything from damage. And then Mr. Allman is really sure to mention, like, one thing I do want to be really upfront about is like, it's lonely up here. Like, you're going to be up here for five months with just your wife and your child. It's going to get lonely. You know, there's a lot of isolation. And Jack is just like, you know, five months apiece is just what I want. And Mr. Allman's like, do you think your family is going to like it? And he literally says, they're going to love it. Yeah. What I will say is, first of all, doesn't Mr. Allman look like Mr. Toad? (laughs) Sorry. Doesn't he? (laughs) I haven't ever thought of it, but yeah, he kind of (laughs) does. Anyways, beyond that, you guys... If you've watched it, or if you haven't, just Google a picture. Looks like Mr. Toad. <laughs> we haven't said. And he, he takes Jack for a wild ride. Mr. Allman. He's like, yeah, what up? We can't wait to have you be the caretaker for this massively haunted and psychologically damning <laughs> hotel. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, and he does say, he's like, you know, Jack, one thing I do want to talk about is the tragedy that happened during the winter of 1970. And this involved a caretaker named Charles Grady. And he came up with his wife and two girls. And Grady ended up going insane and murdering his family with an axe. And then he stacked them in a room in the West Wing and then killed himself. Essentially all due to cabin fever. Jack then says, you know, that's like not going to happen to me. And 
you know, that his wife is actually going to find it to be very interesting because she is a quote unquote ghost story and horror film addict, which I'm like, girl, aren't we all? (laughs) I was like, I was like literally same and love that for her. (laughs) And that like, essentially she's going to be really intrigued by the story. I was going to say, she'd probably like spooky chicks and horror flicks. Honestly, she would. (laughs) (laughs) And then back at home, Danny is talking with Tony in his room privately And, you know, he's having this conversation with his imaginary friend and Tony ends up telling him, he's like, your dad got the job. And then there's this really creepy scene. Or iconic. Creepy and iconic. Creepy and iconic. But this is like the first piece of creep as we're like in the film of Danny talking in the mirror in his reflection. He was supposed to be brushing his teeth in the bathroom. And he's again doing the little finger thing. (laughs) You have to stop looking at me while you do that. I'm like just like staring into Ali's eyes. And he makes this creepy, like when he's talking as Tony, he changes his voice like that. It's like very creepy. It sounds like Lisa Simpson on The Simpsons. Yeah, yeah. Tony's talking to him in the mirror, what have you. They're having a moment. And Danny has this vision of blood gushing out of the hotel doors of the Overlook. And then he actually gets like a a short, quick glimpse of two girls who are wearing the exact same outfit. So this is presumably the Grady sisters Mm -hmm. or the Grady, you know, children. And actually a fun fact is that Stanley Kubrick, you know, again, we've talked about he's known for his compulsiveness and his numerous outtakes. And he actually got this difficult shot of blood pouring out of the elevator in only three takes. And that sounds like it's not that much. But it took nine days to set up. <laughs> it took nine days to set up. And every time the doors open and the blood poured out, Kubrick would literally be like, mm, it just doesn't look like blood. And then in the end, for everything, it took almost a year to get it completely right, which is crazy. I want to know, like, how they did that. I just know that it took a substantial amount of fake blood. Corn syrup? Maybe. Or real blood? I think real. No, I'm just kidding. Oh my God, (laughs) so kidding. But yeah, that's a good question. I don't know like the exact details of exactly like how they shot it. I'm sure we could quickly figure that out, but we're, you know. But we didn't. People can Google it. Yeah. Um, But at this point, you know, we've had this like kind of crazy vision. And so, you know, you're kind of like, oh, wow, does Danny like have these all the time? Or is this just like a weird thing he's getting because his dad's now in charge of a weird haunted murder hotel? And the next shot we get is a doctor is actually there visiting Danny um, as he's like laying in bed in his room because he allegedly had passed out in the bathroom. We don't see that happen. So I was a little confused. I almost was like, is she a psychological doctor who's just like there because he had a weird vision? But then it's it, it's kind of unclear. And, you know, they talk a little bit about Tony and the doctor's like, how is your friend Tony? How do you know him? You know, whatever. And Danny says, he's the little boy that lives in my mouth. I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> Which like jaw feel kind of like, I don't know. I kind of feel like there's a little boy that lives in my mouth. I'm going to let you think about what you just said. I just feel like he's like just in there making me talk about Black Philip. Okay. Then I agree with you. Yeah. You know, like I just, I can't help it. He's just in there doing, he's controlling me like a puppet. Sorry. I just read a book about puppets, like haunted, scary puppets. So mm-hmm. I think that's like why I'm, it's, I'm projecting onto you guys. So I apologize. <laughs> the producer's pol- looking at me. He's like, stop projecting on the audience. <laughs> it's giving Polar Express. Again? I can relate everything back to <laughs> I Polar was going to say, I feel like you can. <laughs> um, 
So then Wendy and the doctor go talk privately in the living room. And, you know, she says, hey, you know, I just want to let you know nothing is physically wrong with Danny. So there's definitely like a wave of relief that washes across Wendy. But then she's like, you know, these episodes are not uncommon, but like just curious, like when did Danny start talking to his imaginary friend, Tony? And she says that Danny, you know, started talking to Tony when they put him in nursery school. She kind of glides over the fact that they took him out of nursery school for a little bit because he had an injury and then you know so da, 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 and the doctor's like wait 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 wait, let's back up here yeah she's and like tell me about this injury yeah and this is where we kind of illuminate on their family life so jack while they were in vermont he was apparently like a severe alcoholic while he was teaching so that might be an indication mm-hmm, of why totally. he was fired yeah but so he comes home one day and danny has maybe misplaced some papers he he claims it was like papers were everywhere and Jack kind of loses it and what dislocates his shoulder, like pulls. He's him like up. pulling him up, yeah. and in the process, accidentally, quote unquote, like dislocates his shoulder. And this is classic, you know, abuser, abuser. And yes, and because sh- she's kind of defending Jack and saying it was an accident, you know. Yeah, Wendy's like that's the type of thing you do like a million times, but then that one time you do it a little too hard to a kid. But you she's know. she's clearly stressed and you know, has anxiety. She's smoking nonstop. Oh my God. Yeah. And it, the, I laugh when she offers the doctor a cigarette. Yeah. Literally sitting in her living room. <laughs> also, I don't really know how like cigarettes back then worked or really now, but like her cigarette thing didn't like not fall. Like when it was like ashing, it did like not fall. Oh yeah. I don't know. I mean, it's a good, good question. Well, you know, as the producer would say, it's a movie. It's a movie. <laughs> She was smoking like actual cigarettes. She so. probably was. <laughs> yeah. I think both her and Jack did smoke on set. But obviously, so we have an alcoholic, out of work, father, a stressed out mother to a young boy, a traumatized kid. So we've got a broken family, which is great for cinema. Yes. <laughs> and before we dive into like the next like big scene here, I do want to note that one thing I notice about their apartment is they have so many books. books. The books. Yeah. Like everywhere. There's books in Danny's room. There's books in their kitchen, in their living room, stacked on some of their end tables, which I will admit, I do too have books stacked on my end tables because I have a lot of books. Not this many. Not this many, though. That's pretty crazy. And I feel like it gives me this, like, we're dealing with a family who is very educated. They're very literate. They're very, you know, like, I don't know. They just, there's a lot of smarts going on here. And I mean that in a, I don't know, it's kind of hard for me to talk about it, but Jack is obviously a teacher, right? So like him having a lot of books, not surprising, but like, we don't really get a lot of background on Wendy, what Wendy does. Is she just a stay at home mom? But I love all the books around because it just, to me shows that like, she's probably super educated too. And obviously super smart. And I bet you that, you know, obviously Danny is too. And I don't know. I just like feel like they're meant to be these like weak characters in this film but like for somehow that just shows like a line of strength to me devil's advocate they might all be jacks and he controls the entire apartment there you go he's the writer reader and also speaking of education why is he not being homeschooled true we really don't know exactly how old danny is though dude he's like six five six seven true 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 school so yeah i do like i do like your take yeah it could be like a so, control thing. Emma's the angel on your shoulder and I'm the devil. <laughs> <laughs> she wants to live deliciously. No, I don't. <laughs> do you want some butter? I do love butter though. <laughs> so now we have reached the next point in the film, which kind of comes up in the title screen. It just says 
closing day. And so this is alluding to like the resort, the Overlook Hotel is going to be closing for the season. So we get the shot of the Torrance family in their little yellow bug and they are driving up to the mountains. And Wendy, you know, she is commenting on how beautiful it is. And she kind of makes this little comment to Jack and she's like, isn't this where the Donner party, you know, massacre kind of thing happened? And Jack's like, oh no, you know, that was up in the Sierras, like in on the west side of the United States. Danny's kind of asking about the Donner party and like what happened to them. And Jack so bluntly basically is like, oh, they were a group of settlers who were trying to go out west and they basically got caught in a really devastating snowstorm and ended up having to eat each other to stay alive. (laughs) And kind of crazy to just say that so bluntly to your son. Um, (laughs) And basically Danny is like, oh, I know all about cannibalism. And Jack's like, oh, is that right? And he's like, oh, I saw it on the television. And then Jack kind of in a mean undertone kind of way looks at Wendy and is like, did you hear that, Wendy? He saw it on the television. Kind of like condescending. Yeah, like you're letting our son watch shit about cannibalism. Like on the everything TV. is your fault. Yeah. <laughs> and then our next shot is Jack, you know, presumably to talk to Mr. Allman again and this man named Bill, who also works for the hotel, and they are about to give Jack a tour of everything. And one thing that totally sticks out to me here is there is a lot of undertones of like homosexuality within this film. And one of them right here at the very beginning is Jack is reading a Playgirl magazine. And if you, you know, to the naked eye or someone who's just watching this very casually, you will 100% miss it. I missed it. Yeah. But it's very strange. It's just like, first of all, why is that even a magazine available within a kind of lobby area of a hotel? No, yeah, not like Playgirl. That's totally fine. Yeah, that's like, totally fine if you want to read that on your private time. But like, it's just kind of a weird reading material for like it's a not reading like, area of a hotel. It's not like a highlights magazine. <laughs> it's not like, you know, People Mag <laughs> or yeah. something. Like, it's just, it's very interesting. So that's kind of one like little thing like right off the bat that's just kind of a very weird just thing that's definitely intentional in this film. And then we get a shot actually of Danny in another room and he's in kind of like a playroom and he's playing darts and he actually turns around and sees the Grady sisters standing in the doorway and has this moment where he's like, you know, he's seen them now at his home. He had a flash of them right in the bathroom before he passed out. And now he's like seeing them at the hotel. I'm also like, I'm not a parent, so don't come for me. But like, why would you let your kid just go wander off at this massive hotel Unless like the playroom is very close by or something or, you know, maybe Wendy is supposed to be watching him. Well, then speaking of, then Wendy and Jack are like, yeah, let's take a tour. So they just full on leave Danny. Mm-hmm. Totally. <laughs> just so random. And I'm like, hmm, OK, go off. King and queen. <laughs> or like 80s. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. But so Ullman takes Jack and Wendy on a tour of the grounds and we see the maze that is located right next to the hotel and they kind of this is kind of like a continuity scene we we get introduced to there's a maze and huge a huge, huge hedge maze and Ullman is like it takes hours to get through there he's like yeah I would not walk in there unless you have a couple hours to kill basically yeah and then we he also mentions Look, there's the snow cat that helps us get through, you know, the grounds while it's snowing. And he also mentions, I don't think this ever comes up again. Very casually. I know exactly what you're going to say. Like, Loki maybe have been built on a burial ground. 
he so casually is like, yeah, like this hotel was definitely built on an Indian burial ground. I'm sorry, but I know this is like before Poltergeist came out, but Mm. shout out to our very first episode. It's still one of my favorites. So go back and listen to it if you haven't. But I'm getting some similarities between this and poltergeist (laughs) yeah so that it was not a waste of time i won't say that but it was just kind of establishing some plot points for us and basically shit never ends well if things are built on an ancient native american burial ground totally so just put that in your pipe and smoke it okay Anyways, so they've taken this tour and then we get to meet our favorite character. God, we love him. We Mr. love Mr. Hollerin'. Straight homie. <laughs> Scatman Crothers. What a name. <laughs> so yeah, Jack and Wendy get to meet Mr. Holleran, who is the head chef at the Overlook Hotel. And we he's kind of going through the kitchen with Wendy and she's like, I wouldn't know what to do with any of this stuff. Uh-huh. And we actually have Danny back at this point. Yes. too. So Danny is with Wendy with Mr. Holleran, you know, and I think this is a classic like gender roles thing. But it's like, let the men go look at the rest of the hotel. Wendy, you go check out the kitchen because you're going to be cooking like, you know what I mean? So we're in the kitchen with Halloran, Wendy, and Danny, and Halloran keeps calling Danny Doc, and he's just casually, and I, I kind of clocked that because I was like, oh, that's cute. That's cheeky. Wendy catches Wendy, it. Wendy catches that. She kind of questions him. She's like, how did you know that we call him Doc? Right. And so you get this first inkling of like, wait, how did Mr. Halloran know that that's what they call Danny? And she's like, yeah, we call him Doc like Bugs, like the Bugs Bunny cartoons. And he's like, oh, I must have heard you say it. And, and she's he, like, she's, she's like, like, I didn't call him that. Yeah. She's like, I don't recall calling him that at all while I was with you. So I love that she kind of calls his ass out a little bit. But then, you know, it still does get like brushed under the rug. Again, Halloran's showing Wendy around the kitchen that she won't know what to do with. And we see the meat locker, which incidentally actually doesn't come into play, which I thought it would. Yeah. And then they go into the pantry and Halloran is talking to Wendy just about the goods in the pantry. And then telepathically, he's asking Danny if he wants some ice cream. Like, you want some ice cream, Doc? And so we see that they're like communicating within their minds, which is very cool. Well, I mean, okay, cool is subjective. Like, if you were like a six or seven or eight year old, oh, I'd be freaked out. Yeah, but there's also something so trusting about Mr. Holleran oh, that I'd, sure. I'd also be like, huh. I mean, at this point, we see that Danny's already had some kind of weird visions, totally. right? We don't know if he's had these before. He has his like imaginary friend Tony. We don't know what he's seen prior to this film, obviously. If we're talking about like timeline wise, but I don't know. There is something so trusting about Mr. Holleran and just like so innocent the way he's like, you know, hey, do you want some ice cream? It's for sure scary. And I think if I was a little kid, it would be like confusing. But I think I'd also be intrigued. Like I'd be like, wait, I want to know more about why this guy can talk to me with his mind. I was talking with my family about this and they're I said this exact same point and they're like, Allie, you'd like it. Chill out. No, I think I, I think I'd be like truly just like children are curious. Like, yeah. you know, and they're just like, I, I think even at this age, I'd be like, how the hell did you just ask me if I want ice cream? But yes, I do. And speaking of the ice cream, he does take Danny to get ice cream. And, and it's he, just them two. It's just them two in the kitchen. And he brings up very gently The Shining. Well, and he says, he's like, Danny, did you know how I knew that your parents called you Doc? And then, yeah, he tells Danny about his grandmother when he was really young. She kind of had similar, I don't want to say like powers because he doesn't say powers, but he says, you know, my grandmother could also do the same thing where we could kind of, you know, talk to each other without speaking out loud. And she called it 
The Shining. And I don't know if you read this, Emma, but do you know where that title of the book and the movie and everything came from? I have it somewhere in my notes, but you go ahead. It comes from a after John Lennon broke up with the Beatles, he started a different band called the Plastic Band or something. And it comes from a, a song that he sang. And one of the lyrics is, we all shine on. And Stephen King took it from that. Wait, I love that. Yeah. Well, and I think like, I don't know, it's such a clever saying. I don't know. I feel like it equates well to like having that sort of ability. Well, after I watched this movie, I just kept walking around to people saying, do you have The Shining? (laughs) I love that. Okay, super, super side note, but my mom and I are super close and there have been many times where, and I mean many times, like, and Allie knows my mom really well. Like she's very spiritual. She's definitely like kind of witchy like us. Like she loves all of that. And when I was younger, there would be times in my head that I would want to call my mom's name but I wouldn't like for whatever reason. So I'd be like in my room, say I'm scared or something or like sleeping or maybe I'm just like five or six and I'm like, mom, like, can you make me lunch? Whatever. And without me even calling her name physically, my mom would come in because she just had like a sense that I needed her. And so I don't know. I kind of love this movie because it sort of reminds me of like me and my mom. Dude, same. Like, I just feel like she'd be like, she would literally come in and be like, Emma, did you call me? And I'd be like, I didn't call you, but I was thinking about it in my mind. Bro. Like weird, right? No, no, no. Not weird at all because I'll be like when I I stay at my parents' house quite a bit because they live super close and I love hanging out with my family. Yeah, we love our our parents. And I'll be sleeping in my old room and I, I feel like my mom either touches my leg when she used to wake me up like that or is saying my name. And I wake up and no one's there. And then two minutes later, she comes in. Because she's having like a feeling that you like needed her. Dude, we have the shining. Dude, do we have the shining? Yeah, we do. Yeah. Shout out to Lisa and Dave because they're (laughs) definitely listening. Yeah. And Christine and Christine and and John. Yeah. God, I just love that. I know. That's so cool. Anyway, so Halloran is explaining the shining quote unquote to him. And I'm like, that must be really difficult to talk about with a six year old, but he does it in a very loving way. Super loving, gentle, just like really good way. And props to Halloran for trying to get it out of Danny. Yeah. And Tony says, Tony, his imaginary friend says like, he's not supposed to talk about Mm -hmm. like his shining ability, essentially. And Halloran is like, has Tony told you anything about the hotel? And then Danny is basically like, is there something bad here? And he says, what about room 237? He just pulls that out of his ass. <laughs> like he just randomly knows about it. And Halloran goes from like precious baby angel to like very freaked out. Yeah. Like that he brought up that room number. He's like, don't fuck with 237. Nothing happened, but s- stay the fuck but out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, essentially. And then our next title scene one month later. And we see Danny and immediately it's kind of a cool shot. It's like following the back of him as he's riding his tricycle all around the hotel. And I love this shot because it's like one continuous shot of him going down several different halls. I and had, he's just like going going to town. I had questions about this. I'm like, do you think that's the actual kid in that tricycle? Because that's a lot of like, that's a lot of hefty. I think so. You think I so? think so. For sure. Damn, I hope they paid him more for that. But dude, imagine the energy we had back then. Oh, wow. <laughs> I can't even oh because I'm too tired to imagine. We're both just like, oh, God. <laughs> but I also read that to like film that crazy ass kind of scene, they just put the camera operator on like a wheelchair and we're oh, like yeah. feeling him. And I'm like, Brilliant. Dude, you had to get so creative back then. Like Brilliant. you didn't have like producer. What are those called? Like like a dolly thing. Yeah, a dolly. Yeah. Like right to like create those like really seamless, smooth shots of like following something. Like they just didn't have that back then. So they were like, well, you know what? It's going to fucking work a wheelchair. 
So little Wendy, we see her getting breakfast. She's got this like bar cart kind of set up. You know when you... It's like a room service tray. Yeah, a room service or tray. cart. Cart. What I equated it to was like, you know when you go to a tapas restaurant and they just kind of wheel it around and they got all these tapas on it? I literally just went to a tapas restaurant. Oh, we have to talk about that. Last Friday. Where? Costa Brava. <gasps> My fave. I've never been there. Oh, it's the best. It was so fun. It's amazing. Anyway, sorry guys. <laughs> But she's wheeling this room service tapas cart, bar cart <laughs> thing through the main lobby area or the Colorado lounge, if, as they call it. And she's taking it up to Jack, who's still in bed. And she is alluding to the fact that at first she didn't like the hotel so much. It was it was creepy and foreboding. And but now she's, you know, getting accustomed to it and liking it. And Jack is like, Yo, I've ever since that first interview, ever since I stepped foot here, I felt like I've been here. I was meant to be here, which is creepy as fuck. That is very creepy because if you guys remember where he had just been to the hotel for the very first time, he's like, yeah, ever since I've been there, I just like, I feel like I've been here before. And that's definitely where we get some like red flags. Wait, 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 wait. I didn't catch that I've been here before. Yeah, he literally was like, I just feel like I've already been here. You know, he's like, I've just gotten like some good vibe. Like he's like, it's more of a, he's saying it almost in a positive way, but us as the audience is like, no, 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 red flag, <laughs> red flag. Well, that kind of ties into some things that we'll get into towards the end. So then the next shot that we actually see is Jack throwing a tennis ball against the wall in the, they call it the Colorado room. So we'll con we'll continue to call it like the Colorado room. And this is where Jack does a lot of his like quote unquote work, if we can even call it that. And it's like one of the main rooms, one of the main areas in the Overlook Hotel. I'll probably continue to call it a lobby because I will forget the Colorado room. I was going to say it's probably like very just lobby-esque. Well, and so at this point, too, so we have Jack and he is in the main lobby area, Colorado room, and he's throwing a tennis ball against the wall. And I think for the audience, so this is also something that he improvised, like this was not originally in the script or anything, but they kept it in because it really portrays this like thought of just like absolute boredom and isolation. It's like, okay, you have nothing like else to do, like might as well just throw a freaking tennis ball against the wall back to yourself because... Playing with yourself is, uh, <laughs> whoops, <laughs> I was going to say it's like the only thing you can really do <laughs> at this point of <laughs> And then we actually see this really cute shot of Wendy and Danny and they're outside and they're going into the hedge maze because at this point it hasn't started snowing like really crazy or anything and the weather has not changed like for the worse. So they're still like able to go outside and kind of like enjoy nature. And Wendy and Danny go into the hedge maze and we get this like amazing overhead shot of them like going through the maze. And then we get a shot back in the interior of the hotel of Jack looking at a miniature version of the hedge maze that is available, you know, for people to see in inside the hotel. And I want to point out a really fun fact here is the only shot in the film that was not achieved in camera was a slow zoom in on the model of the maze that Jack was looking in. And we actually get to see like tiny figures of Danny and Wendy walking around the center as this like zoom in is happening. And to achieve this shot, a model of the maze was actually shot 
from six feet above, and then a small central section of the maze was built to scale next to the apartment complex, to an apartment complex. And Shelly Duvall and Danny walked about in the center section of this like hedge maze while the camera crew filmed it from the roof of the apartment building. So the two shots were actually composited together to kind of create this really weird like perspective that I just like really, really love that Stanley Kubrick included in the film. Okay, so now we're at our next title screen sequence thing that we want to call it says Tuesday. And Wendy is cooking in the kitchen. And she's it's kind of random, but she's making like a big old serving of corn, which I noticed because they obviously have like kind of industrial size pantry items because they're serving like a hotel, right? So like anything that's like a canned good is huge. I mean, it's not like individual sizes, like think like Costco, but bigger. I don't know. Yeah. Like stocking up for hibernation. And she's making some corn. She's watching the news on a little TV that's in the kitchen, and they're actually talking about a huge storm that's going to be coming to Colorado. It's it's like about to hit in the next couple of days, and there's going to be a ton of snow and this and that. And she's just kind of watching, you know, whatever. And then we get a separate shot. And Danny is yet again riding his tricycle and he's riding it through a different part of the hotel this time. And he rides by room 237, which if you remember earlier, Mr. Holleran was like, just whatever you do. Don't go and do anything towards room 237. And of course, what does he do? Because this is a horror film. And, you know, what is it without people trying to investigate shit that they're not supposed to investigate? So Danny tries to go into the room. He tries to, like, you know, put his little hand on the knob and it is locked. And as he's doing this, he does see a quick glimpse of the twins. And, you know, it's like the second time he's now seen the twins as he's like in the hotel and he's seeing them pretty recurrently. So like they're obviously their spirit is in this hotel and it kind of freaks him out. So while Danny's being a fucker and going places where he shouldn't be, <laughs> we see Wendy going to check on Jack, who's has been struggling to write previously. And now he's tapping away like a motherfucker. And he's in the Colorado, what they call the, the Colorado lounge. lounge. And I'm like... Okay, find one empty room to go type in. Like, why take the entire lobby up? I, you know? Yeah, but I I just, I truly don't think there's too much behind it. I think like, I mean, I would probably do the same thing. You would take an entire lobby rather than just finding yourself a little. If I'm at a hotel completely by myself and no one else is going to be there, why not? And it has a lot of good natural light. Are you going to kill me with an axe? Probably. Okay. So he's typing away in the Colorado room or the lobby, and all of a sudden he's like, just type, 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 type. And I'm like, bro, did you take Adderall? He's getting after it. Yeah. Yeah. He's getting after Adderall. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) But so Wendy comes to see how he's going with his, his writing and everything. And this is where we see a big snap. From Jack. He is kind of testy towards Wendy. He's like very irritable. He's very irritable and just like, why the fuck are you bothering me? And he's basically being a fucker to Wendy, like being so irritable and rude. And Wendy's only there to literally just be like, hey, how are you? Can I bring you something? And she tells him like, hey, there's a snowstorm coming. There's supposed to be snow. And she's like kind of excited about it. Yeah, and kind of playful, and she just wants to bond with her husband, and he's like, bitch, I'm fucking working, and he says, basically, if you see me in here, if you know I'm in here, do not come in, and he says, if you know I'm in here and I'm not working, don't come in, 
He's just like such an asshole. And it's like, I'm sorry, but there's three fucking people in this entire hotel. Cut her some fucking slack. She's literally being nice and is coming up to you saying like she's happy to bring you lunch and happy to do like X, Y, Z. And I just feel like, yes, obviously you're writing, you're in your groove. You don't want to be disrupted, but there are a lot nicer ways that you could have said that. But again, this gives like this first glimpse into his, like Ali said, like his sort of snap into this like yeah. different, more irritable person. And during this whole dialogue scene, Wendy's kind of just taking it like a little, not bitch, but... She's like almost just like, why are you treating me like this? No, she just keeps saying, yeah. Yeah, she's like, yeah, okay. And he's like, and he literally goes, so do you understand? And she's like, yeah, like I do. And he goes, so then why don't you start right now and get the fuck, fuck out, out of here? here. <laughs> and she does. Which when I heard that, I was like, bro, that made me really uncomfortable. Like, I'm like, do not talk to your wife like that. I'm sorry. But like, I'm sorry, but do you know her? She plays freaking... Oh my God. <laughs> I guess I gotta watch. She plays olive oil and her other hubby is fucking Popeye and he'll fucking sock you a new one. So a live like, action thing or? It is. Yes. With Robin Williams. He plays Popeye. You should see it. Is it a movie? Yes. It's a movie. Okay. It's fantastic. Maybe we'll we love Shelley one Duvall. day. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. You do. Yeah. <laughs> and then so that whole interaction happens. So things are kind of falling Tense. apart. Yeah. They're falling apart sort of slowly. They'll get rapidly falling apart as we go along here. And then we get to Thursday. One fun fact I do want to say, though, is that in this scene where Jack snaps at Wendy for interrupting his writing, he did say that this was like one of the most difficult scenes for him to do as he was a writer himself. And he had actually gone to into some similar arguments with his girlfriend at the time. And being a method actor, he drew on these memories of those arguments. And he said he actually added the line. He said, or if you come in here and you don't hear me typing, if I'm in here, that means I'm working. So he like even improvised just based on some of his like real life experiences which i thought was kind of kind of fun so then now we have our next title scene which is thursday so big black screen says thursday and this is actually pretty short there's really only like one little tiny scene on the thursday timeline and it's wendy and danny and they're out playing in the snow so they've finally got that snowstorm that was supposed to be hitting and it's not like too crazy to where they can't like go outside or anything so she's like playing with danny and they're playing outside in the snow. And then we get a shot of Jack from inside. And it's very, very sinister looking. Like you don't see him necessarily looking out of a window, but he has the natural light on his face. And it's from like, it's from the perspective of staring straight at him. And if you can imagine him chin down with his Jack Nicholson eyebrows looking straight at the camera with this ominous, sinister smile. And he's just looking. And it's like, I think it's supposed to kind of assume that he's looking outside at Wendy and Danny playing. And he's kind of looking like he's got something more up his sleeve. It's very creepy. But he also looks like that. Yes. He also looks like potentially there's nothing behind those eyes yes. except for evil. Totally. Yeah. Like any remnants of maybe like the real Jack is gone. I think this is supposed to be that transitional scene of like the house and the cabin fever and the like isolation is truly taking over. I'm also like, what was the real Jack? Maybe this is the real Jack. 100%. Yeah, we don't really know. And then we have a next title scene, which again, now new timeline. And it says Saturday. Saturday. (laughs) And there's another shot of outside and the snowstorm is really bad. And it's white out there. It's essentially like a whiteout. You know, there's only small areas that we can tell it's actually the hotel. We have another whiteout on our hands. (gasps) 
like Krampus. Oh my God. We're just in the throes of winter time, right? Here in Colorado. And Jack is writing and Wendy is, you know, on her own and she's trying to see actually if she can get any radio signals. So she's noticing that like the phone lines are down. So then she goes actually down into Mr. Allman's office and she tries like the actual like radio, like old school, like radio signal. So I asked my dad what this was because I was like, is it a CB? Like whatever. Oh, good question. And he's he called it a VHF radio and we know that Dave knows his shit. Oh, what is so okay. no no clue. Okay, but I trust him. But he said just call it a ham radio. Okay, ham radio. Essentially the same thing. Love that. And Wendy gets in touch with the Forest Service, actually. She's like able to contact them, which I thought was so great. Like I felt I felt a weird like sense of relief. Like when you're watching the film, like you're like, okay, at least like they know that she's there at the overlook, right? And so she tells them that the telephones aren't working and, you know, one of the forest rangers says that it's actually one of the worst storms that they've had in years. Great. And that she should leave her radio on permanently just in case they need to get in contact with her or she needs to get in contact with them. And she straight up tells them like, hey, I'm here at the Overlook Hotel. It's me, my husband and my son. So I love that she kind of gives them that context. I don't know why, but that made me feel just at least a small amount of like someone with authority knows like where they are and what they're doing. Right. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know. Personally, I was like, okay, even though it's so funny because I've seen this movie a million times, I've read the book, I know what happens, but I still find moments sometimes in movies where I still have like hope that things are going to be different. See, like this is the angel and the devil. You you see hope. I'm like, dumb bitch. Yeah. You're like, she gonna die. She gonna die. (laughs) You've been having problems with this hotel and your husband. Go put this radio in somewhere safe that he doesn't know where it is. Or tell them you're fucking concerned because your husband's totally. being a dick. <laughs> Can you come help us with our, you know, phone X, problem? Y, Z. Yeah. yeah. True. True, true, true. Devil's advocate. Literally. Devil <laughs> on your shoulder. So then Danny is riding his tricycle again. Again. Yet again. He loves that thing. We have this cool shot of him being followed down a hall and then he makes a really sharp left turn and immediately stops because he sees the twins down a little further down one of the halls that he just turned into. An iconic scene. And what do they say? Come play with us, Danny. They actually speak to him this time. And just like Ali said, come play with us, Danny. And they say, forever and And ever and ever. ever. And then all of a sudden it cuts and he sees them in the same hallway. But now they're on the floor covered in blood and like essentially kind of mutilated like they have been murdered, which we know that they were murdered by Grady with an axe. Also like 10 years prior. That's a shit ton of blood. Just for them. Just for them. But I, I've never asked someone. Asked someone. I'm not yeah. Lizzie Borden. I'm sorry. No, we don't know. So she doesn't know for sure. But <laughs> it's kind of sad. But Danny like tells Tony that he's scared. Yeah. He like summons Tony to yeah, calm him he's down. Like, Tony, I'm scared. And then Tony says, remember what Mr. Holleran said? It's just like pictures in a book. It isn't real. As a reminder, Tony is the little boy that lives inside Danny's mouth. It's like his like imaginary friend. Yes. So then the next scene, we have Wendy and Danny, and they're watching a show in actually one of the lobby rooms, which I thought was kind of interesting after we just found out that they don't have like phone service. I was like, how do you guys have like cable? But I do know that sometimes even in like the worst weather, you can still get like basic cable channels. So I'm just kind of assuming that maybe they're watching like a very basic cable show or something. That's crazy. That's just like my assumption. But he asks that, you know, if he can go up to their suite, 
which is where they live, and if he can play with his fire truck and get it from the suite. And Wendy is very cautious about this because they are down in a totally separate room, like watching TV, and she really doesn't want Danny to go up to the suite and wake up his dad. For obvious reasons, he's been a fucking dick. While they're watching TV, you can see Wendy is like super fucking stressed. She's so like uptight. Yeah, she's like obviously going through shit and Danny's just like watching the shit and wants to get his toy. Mom, please. Can I get (laughs) up? Great interpretation. It's like classic kid that like doesn't actually know maybe the consequences of something that like they want because all they see is like that thing that they want, right? I feel like he would know the consequences. He's just like also a kid and just wants to fucking fire truck. Yeah, totally. But so Wendy's like, yeah, as long as you promise to like not make a peep and don't disturb dad. so quiet. Yeah. And so she says, yeah, go grab it and come back down here. So we think that Jack is asleep because that's what Wendy says. And And by the way, she says that he just went to sleep a few hours before. And it's like, I think almost lunchtime at this point in the day. So he's clearly not sleeping through the night and falling asleep probably at like five or 6 a.m. My God, he and I have the same sleeping patterns. (laughs) (laughs) But so he goes to get his fire truck and suspects that dad will be sleeping in his room. And then he gets into their little loft apartment within the hotel and Jack is fully just like sitting on the bed looking creepy as fuck. So weird. And he's like, come to me, boy. (laughs) And we can see Danny, even though he's young. He has like reluctance. Yeah. We can tell that he knows something is fully off with his dad. Totally. Yeah. And... He takes Danny, like, has him sit in his lap and kind of is coddling him and telling him how much he loves him. And he's like, he's like, are you having a good time? He's like, do you like it here? And Jack is like, I love it here. I wish we could stay forever and ever and ever. He literally says almost exactly what the Grady twins. Yes. Or the Grady Grady sisters. Sorry, they're not twins. Let's make that distinction right now. We found out they're not twins. But they are dressed very similarly and they're sisters. And then he says, Dad, do you feel bad? And then he says, I'm just a little bit tired. And then Jack tells Danny that he loves this hotel. Again, just like Ali said, he says, like, you know, I wish we could stay here forever and ever. And then he says, Dad, you would never hurt Mommy and me, would you? And Jack starts to kind of get mad at Danny for even, like, bringing that up. Like, and you can kind of tell almost that he's in his mind starting to blame Wendy for maybe, like, putting thoughts into Danny's brain or, like, you know, just based on the previous stuff that they have been through, even before this hotel stay, it has now been, like, magnified and just like I don't know I feel like it's been like blown up because of everything that's going on in this hotel right now and so Jack is not happy so now it's Wednesday my dudes <laughs> Emma's pouring herself Sorry, another libation wine. <laughs> Ooh, another libation I like that as we do so we see Danny playing in the hallway with some random ass toys just like sitting on that creepy carpet that Emma talked about but yeah. also, like, kind of nice for having roads for your cars, your play toy. True. Cars. It's very, like, geometric. Is that a word? Yeah. It, like, resembles roads to me. Like a map. Like a one of those maps. Very obscure way. Like a map carpet? Like a m- map carpet. You know what I'm talking about, producer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. yes. Mm-hmm. I used to have a carpet that was, like, Jurassic Park themed. That's nice. Moving on. It was really nice. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, fuck my childhood anyways. We all know you want to talk about Jeff Goldblum, so we're not going to bring that up. God damn it. 
right. <laughs> she's right. <laughs> so he's sitting on the carpet, geometric carpet with all these toys, and he's just playing his fucking games. And this random ass fucking ball rolls up to him, very aligned with the carpet, which was like props to everybody. I read that it took like over 50 takes or something yep. to get this correct. So wild. Which is such a waste of money and like <laughs> film, but like whatever. I also really love that he's wearing an Apollo rocket sweatshirt right. mm-hmm. or like sweater it's very cute it looks like homemade and i think that producer told me that there's like some conspiracy theories about how stanley kubrick was part of like a fake moon landing or something i don't know so anyways read about that on your own time but it is kind of cute that he has a little apollo sweater <laughs> i think it's cute <laughs> like I, I would wear it right now i can get on board with that cute on your own time folks so the ball rolls up and then little danny's like yeah, where the fuck did that come from? And a note to everyone, don't look for where the ball came from if it's randomly rolling Roll up it to back. You. Yeah. Say, no. bitch, take that back. Bitch, run away. <laughs> like, why? Don't go and explore the room you're not supposed to. Explore. So he walks down the hall to be like, where the fuck did this ball come from? And then we see he's walking by room 237, which we obviously know is the... Spooky room. The spooky room. And it's now, there's a key in the like key lock thing. Yeah. Which is. Isn't the door like kind of cracked? Like a jar. A tiny bit. Yeah. Yeah. It's a jar. And so, like, why the fuck is that open? And my main question is why does he keep going to this floor and towards that area when he knows fucking shit happens there? He is so spiritually dragged to it. He doesn't even know. For sure. He's woke. 1000%. (laughs) Anyways, so he's like, all right, what up here? Yeah. If you go up to a floor that you know is haunted and has been fucking with you, you've been fucked if you keep going up. All right. You heard it here first. You heard it here first. Uh Uh-huh. Fuckers. And then we see (laughs) Wendy is actually checking like the boiler room. And and I'm also like, why is she doing Jack's Jack's job? job? Okay. Where's feminism here? Mm, Good question. She's not getting paid for this. She's not getting this paycheck. She Boom. sure ain't getting that manicure because, like, there's nowhere to go. And mm-hmm. she's not getting spoiled. No, she's not getting spoiled. Mm-mm. So, why is she doing this? And then she, while she's checking these boilers, which is kind of terrifying, obviously, she hears some interesting sounds. So, she kind of hears like screaming, but can't exactly tell where it's coming from. And then we get kind of a shot of Jack, and he's asleep at his typewriter. And he's starting to kind of make like grunts. Like, at first, he's like, sort of like, ah, ah, ah. And then he starts like slowly screaming more and more. And so she like runs to him, obviously, because she's a really loving and caring wife. And she like runs to him. He's in the Colorado lounge by his typewriter where he has been, you know, the last few scenes of him writing. And she kind of like, you know, wakes him up. Like she's like, oh my gosh, honey, are you okay? Blah, blah, blah. And he's like, oh my God. First of all, he wakes up, falls out of his chair. And then he's kind of like looking around just in shock and horror. And he even looks at her for a split second, almost like he's scared of her, which I thought was very interesting in the film. And he says that he had the most terrible nightmare that he's ever had. And he just proceeds to tell her exactly what he dreamt. And he goes, I dreamt that I killed you and Danny and that I cut you up into little pieces. I'm sorry. Wouldn't you disclose that to the producer, though? Like, I probably would say that to Kevin. (sighs) Okay. Yeah, you're right. I would, but no, you're right. But the way that he says it to her is almost in a weird, sinister way of like, like he didn't seem freaked out by it. He almost 
this is so hard to like say, but I want you guys to like watch it and tell me what you think, because I feel like when he says it and brings it up, it's almost like he wants to tell her versus like if if I had a dream about that, the producer, I would just keep going on and on about how terrified I was and like I can't even like I can't even speak about it. It was so horrific. You know what I mean? It's kind of like when also maybe not like when, but like it's kind of like when you have a a cheating dream. A cheating dream your about your spouse. Yeah, I just and had it, one of the producer. You wake up and you're just like mad. Yeah. And I didn't want to tell him like all the details, but I was like, basically, this is what happened. So like now I'll apologize. <laughs> <laughs> My husband is like so over that. He's like, bitch. He's like, like we're stop. fucking yeah. married. <laughs> Fuck off. <laughs> well, and so, so very weird and creepy. And then we're back to Danny and he's actually exited room two, 237 and he walks back into the room actually where Wendy and where Jack are. And Wendy warns him like, please go back up to the suite, like, you know, whatever. And he walks over to them and in this like almost trance and he's sucking his thumb and she runs over to him and sees that he has a very large mark on his mm-hmm. neck almost like he's been like strangled or just grabbed by the neck and she is freaked the hell out and she's like oh my god Danny picks him up like he just looks like a little baby at this point like he's literally sucking his thumb and he's walking like super slow like a baby might walk into a room when they're like super fucking confused or yes, tired totally totally and she kind of looks at Jack and is sort of like, oh my God, you did this. Like, this was you. And she kind of blames it on Jack. And then she, you know, takes Danny and goes off. And then our next scene is Jack is walking down some of the halls of the hotel and he's kind of like talking to himself like, and he's like pissed he's off like hitting like, stuff yeah he's like kicking midair you know he's definitely like pissed off that like you know wendy is even like blaming him on any of this stuff and he actually walks into the hall where the gold room is and he turns on the lights and he goes immediately and sits at the bar and one thing that we didn't mention earlier is that when he's getting the tour of the hotel they tell him that they actually remove all of the alcohol from the premises every time that they close down for the winter because it like limits their liability. And so like we have known as the viewer that there is no alcohol in this place unless they have brought their own. And Jack is five months sober. Right. You're sitting here as the viewer like, okay, like now he's in the gold room. He's turned on the light. He's sitting at the bar. But, goes, like, there's no alcohol there. I just right? thought it was interesting that he went Oh, God, there it is again. Interesting. Interesting. <laughs> I think I've probably said it like three times okay. this episode. But he goes straight to the bar. Straight like, to the bar. Like he needs a drink. Yeah. And and like he's going to get one in this empty hotel where it's literally him, his wife, and his son. Or is it empty? Mm, we don't know. So Jack sits at the bar and then he goes into, you know, God, I would kill for a drink. Yep. And all of a sudden we see Lloyd. We see Lloyd and... I want to preface that this scene makes no sense to the viewer because all of a sudden we see a bartender behind the bar who is dressed in a suit like they're at a fancy event. And he, Jack, is on the other side of the bar, the patron side, and he says, hi, Lloyd. Awfully slow tonight, isn't it? And it's very weird because you're like, wait, 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 wait. There's obviously no one working here. There's not a real party going on. So you're like, this is a psychotic episode that Jack is having. And Lloyd, you know, they talk about what kind of drink that Jack wants. And Jack, like, basically says that he wants, like, an entire bottle of bourbon. But Lloyd actually just pours him, like, a glass of Jack Daniels. And something that he says to Lloyd kind of caught me off guard. And it was, 
Lloyd, you're you're the best. You've always been the best. Yeah, you've always been the best. Like he's been there before. And remember at the very top of the movie, we say that like Jack mentions to Wendy, he's like, yeah, I feel like, like I've, I've been, been here, here before. before. I know. <laughs> and Jack tells Lloyd that he's happy to be off the wagon. Well, and he makes kind of a weird sort of admission to Lloyd and he's talking to him like he knows him and he tells Lloyd, he's like, you know, I would never hurt Danny and that he's just upset that he's like still getting shit from Wendy from when he pulled Danny's arm out of socket months prior. I'll also say that besides like him talking about Danny and happy to be off the wagon, which is fucked. He tells Lloyd, the bartender, he's having problems with the sperm bank upstairs. Oh, my God. Yeah. Referring to his wife, Wendy. He's just like treating her very derogatorily. Derogatorily? I don't know if that's even a word, but let's go for it. With a very derogatory nature. And he's just like, I don't know, just kind of talking down on her. So then Wendy actually comes frantically into the bar and finds Jack sitting there and she's like beside herself and she's holding a bat and she's like, Jack, oh my God, there's a woman in the hotel and she's tried to strangle Danny. She's in one of the rooms and Jack is like, wait, what the hell? And she's coming to him trying to get like solace like from her husband. Like she has, I think, concluded in her mind that like the mark from Danny was, you know, Mm -hmm. on his neck that was from the woman, quote unquote, in the room. So she's like redacting her statement that he did it. And yeah. he's like, Danny said it was a woman. And you're kind of confused because I was even watching this with a producer and I was like, wait, 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 did we like see that happen at all? And he's like, no, 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 no. I think like she, it's just meant to be this frantic moment where she's coming to Jack and is like, oh my God, like Danny told me this happened. Like, let's go investigate type of thing. And Jack is fucking like annoyed. He's yeah. like, bitch, He's like, what the fuck are you talking about? Which room was it, bitch? <laughs> He's like, bitch, I'm not trying to talk to you right now. <laughs> So then we see a secondary shot or a different shot of actually Holleran. So we haven't seen Mr. Holleran since he left the Overlook Hotel. And we see him watching TV in his room and he's watching the news and he is seeing how bad the weather is in Colorado. We actually find out later that he's actually in Miami which is like maybe where he lives or where family lives or something. It's where he winters. Yeah, it's where, oh, it's where he spends his winters. And one thing I want to call out is it's got some really nice naked ladies. Oh my gosh, I saw that too. I was like, this makes you love you more. He has some beautiful black women framed in his room. Go off Above the TV and above his bed. Yeah, I agree. I was literally like, these are beautiful pieces of art. These women look absolutely gorgeous. I love that for him. Honestly, like, wish I looked like that. Like, gorgeous, gorgeous, gorgeous. And I'm like, yeah, I had the same thought. I'm like, you go all around. Like, you were probably a dog back in the day. Or like still. Or maybe he still is. Yeah, Yeah. he probably still. I mean, what a good guy. He's got that dog in him. (laughs) Okay, Theobon. (laughs) And he has this just weird feeling and sort of a vision. And we see him as he's watching the news on his bed. His eyes get really wide. And we get this very close-up shot of his eyes and his face. And he looks terrified. I thought he was having some kind of stroke. No, it literally looks like he is not having a good time. Like, <laughs> okay. and, well, to say the least. Yeah. And then we get immediately a shot right after that of room 237. So so it's weird because there's like three different things like happening at the same exact time and things are going to get weird. So bear with me for a second. We get a shot of room 237. Then at the same time, 
we get a shot of Danny and he's like presumably like in his bed, in his suite, and he is shaking and drooling. And then we get another shot immediately of a hotel room that's panning through the hotel room and there are purple couches and it's very like weirdly like decorated. Then we see Jack and Ali, do you want to take this one? I sure will. <laughs> <laughs> so Jack obviously goes up to 237 because that's where Wendy says that he got, you know, like choked, assaulted, assaulted by this woman. Yeah. Yeah. So he's going up to check it out, which good for him. That's a good parenting thing that he hasn't been a good yeah, parent for. Good. Yeah. So he goes in and he goes towards the bathroom and it's kind of random, but it's like right when you walk into the hotel yeah. room, it almost seems like the bathtub is like against the very back wall, but there's a straight like view of it, which I think is like kind of weird for a hotel room. But anyways, it probably works for this movie. Just Cinematography. <laughs> Cinematography, baby. So we're in the green bathroom with Jack and he's looking in there and we see this tub and the curtains drawn like about halfway and then it starts to come back. And we're like, all right, we're going to see this bitch that choked Danny. And at first, Jack is like, what the fuck is happening? His face is like, what he's the confused. fuck? Yeah, yeah, he's confused. What the fuck? All that stuff. And then as we start to see the curtain draw, we see it's a hot ass bitch. Young woman. Yes. Like she's like got really beautiful boobs. Yes, she does. And she's a statuesque body. She probably was like a model. Yeah. I checked, boobs. I checked her credentials. She didn't act before or after yeah. this. Yeah. Her Maybe, or, the, or the, the next The next one person. we'll speak of, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. She starts to draw the curtain, and she's full-ass naked. And, and so, what does she have, Allie? No, no. Oh, I'll, okay. I'll get there. Not yet. Not yet. But Sorry, I was jumping the gun. A beautiful woman, and she starts to get up, and we start to see Jack's, like, c- kind of scared and, like, what the fuck smile turn into a, oh, fuck yeah, shit's going he kind of smi- starts to smirk. Like he's like, oh, all right. Not questioning at all why there's a person in the empty hotel that he no. was supposed to only be in with his wife and son. But anyways. Yes. This random woman that we've been maybe living with for forever. Who might have strangled your kid. Yes. But damn, she's hot and but got damn, my, she- nice boobs. Uh-huh. Yeah. And what else, Emma? <laughs> she starts to get up and we see a full ass bush. Is it full though? I would say so. I would say it's a, it's a landing strip. Really? Mm-hmm. It's a taste. Well, this was in the 80s, but like that means 70s, basically. Yeah. Yeah. We got some 70s bush in there and she's statuesque. She's walking towards him. Jack is like, they fully, have like a weird moment. Yeah. Jack is like fully in, like, fully okay. torqued. Yeah. He's like, this is going to happen. And he like <laughs> knows it. <laughs> Sorry. I made the producer laugh. I made him laugh. Laughed. <laughs> So they're coming towards each other, and again, she's full-ass naked, full bush out. He's fully clothed, but, like, fuck yeah. And then they start to make out, and, like... Yeah, she, like, puts her hands on his chest at first, kind of, yeah. like, slowly, and you don't really know what's going to happen. Like, is he gonna is she going to punch him in the chest or something? And then she puts her arms around his neck, and they start to make out. <laughs> and if you know, like, a horror movie, we kind of all know where this is going. Mm-hmm. So hot-ass, statuesque model woman. Naked. Naked. Bush. Bush. Boobs. All of those things. (laughs) Bush and boobs. Hot. Yes. What Beautiful. Okay, so what happens is we see them kissing and something like apprehensiveness, we can kind of see it in Jack's face. And he pulls away and we see the old-ass fucking bloating, decomposing corpse 
of, of a woman. Of a woman. He's like, he looks in the mirror. Like he is making out with Hot Chick. And so in the mirror, he sees like the back of Hot Chick's body. But as he's looking in the mirror, it's old ass woman with decrepit staph infection. Um, She's rotting. Wounds. She's rotting from the inside out. And it's very scary. Yeah. And. <laughs> And she's full on like laughing. She like knows. She's what, taunting him. She knows what she did. Yeah. She literally because he like freaks out, obviously, and then like yeah. pushes himself off of her. And then she starts just maniacally laughing. That's what I wrote in my notes. Maniac. The laugh caught me off guard because that scared the fuck out of me. And great acting. I would say arguably more from the older woman because mm-hmm. just like Ali mentioned, both of the, the younger naked woman and the older naked woman, this was their first and only films that they ever started. Yes. So good on them. Good, good for on the, you. Good for the bush and good for the bloat. And staph infection. Yes. All of those things. You're beautiful still. Everyone's beautiful. That happens. And she's kind of like laughing like Emma said and not like chasing him, but like kind of like taunting him out of the room. And he exits room 237. And then he like goes back to Wendy and is like, yeah, I went to 237. It's, it's all chill. Nothing happened. He literally just doesn't say anything about what he just encountered, which was honestly probably scary for him. Mm. I don't know. It's just weird. Like, he's that fucked up in the mind that it's just like, it's just he didn't even count that as something to, like, be told. Or he's that fucked up that he's like, I don't know. I'm kind of wine drunk right now, you guys. And I'm just like, I don't get it. So what I put down is like, he was he was gaslighting her, gaslighting Wendy. He was 100 percent. Because she, she legit was just like, what do you see? Like, Danny said this. Like, what else could be the possible, like, out? Like, what happened? Mm-hmm. And he's like, I don't fucking know. There's nothing in there. Yep. The lights were on, but, like, he probably did it to himself. Wendy's like, well, okay, well, if you didn't see anything in room 237, like, how the hell did he get these bruises on his neck? So, actually, what's kind of fucked up, the gate gaslighting, gatekeeping, all these things, is Jack is like, well, Miss Lady, maybe... He gave them to himself, right? Yeah, and, like, all of his episodes... Fuck you. Sorry, I'm pissed. (laughs) Jack kind of uses Danny's previous episodes of, you know, being whatever he is as an excuse, and, like, he did it to himself. Maybe he, like, is doing this as out of rebellion, and all these things and it's just like more gaslighting even though jack just made out with a fucking corpse yeah and then we see a shot of danny actually laying in bed looking petrified and we see the word red rum on his door in red lipstick and that's the first time that we see it we see it just for a very fleeting moment and then we don't see it again for a little while so just keep that in your brain because that's like the first like introduction that we get to that just keep it in your mind no one notices it besides danny And then we're back with Mr. Holleran. He calls the Forest Service and he tells them, which I love, we fucking love Mr. Holleran. I can't say it enough. I love him so much. He's so logical. He is the best. He calls the Forest Service like a fucking angel. And the Forest Service is like, call back in, you know, 20, 30 minutes and we'll let you know if we got a hold of them. So then simultaneously, we have another scene where Jack finds a party happening in the gold room again. And so before he was just in the gold room at the bar by himself. And now there's a full on 1920s party happening. Jack makes his way back to the bar to see Lloyd again and says, I will have a bourbon on the rocks and I will never forget this scene. He's like, "Uh, let me give you some money for this, like blah, blah, blah. And I I just remember like Lloyd, the bartender is kind of being like, no, like it's on us, you know, blah, blah. And Jack is a little questionable. Like he's like, 
why is this like on on you? Like like he's like, I really don't like when I don't need to pay for something. He's like, I just don't understand. Like, what does that mean? He was like, I don't like knowing who's not yeah. for my drinks. Like not knowing who's yeah. paying for my drinks. Yeah. And, you know, Lloyd is just like, drink up, Mr. Torrance, you know, and pours him another glass of bourbon or whiskey. And, and But Jack uh, was like, word. No, he go. literally just accepts it. <laughs> yeah. And then one of the butlers or like one of the servers, what have you, spills on Jack and says, oh, I'm so sorry, Jack. You know, he's he's got this like really refined accent that sounds very proper. And he's like, you know, let's go into the bathroom. I will help you like, you know, you know, take this apricot. It's like an apricot substance of sorts, whether it's a drink or a food item. I don't remember, but it's on Jack's jacket. And he's like, let me take you into the bathroom and we'll, you know, get it off of you. And so him and this butler guy go into the bathroom together to see if they can get the stain out of Jack's jacket. And Jack realizes that the butler's name is Grady. And I don't know if you guys remember from the beginning of the film, but Grady was the name of the man who murdered his family 10 years prior. It's weird to me because like Jack has been sort of a, not aloof, but he's just been accepting all this accepting weird shit. Accepting like, all this yeah, weird totally. shit. And then he's all of a sudden like Grady? Like cool. And then Jack asks him if he has seen him somewhere before. And he's like, weren't you once the caretaker here? And Grady says, no. He's like, I'm, I'm married and I have two daughters and blah, blah, blah. And then Jack tells him, he's like, no. No, no, no. You are the guy that chopped your family up into bits and then blew your brains out. Brother Grady was like, he's like, I don't have any recollection of that at all. And he was like, bitch, you've always been the caretaker here to Jack. Scary. Sketch. Mm -hmm. And then Grady kind of flips it on him and is like, did you know, Mr. Torrance, that your son is attempting to bring an outside party into this situation, which as the viewer, you're like, oh shit, he's talking about Mr. Hollerin. And if anyone fucking calls out my man Hollerin, I will fuck you up personally. <laughs> Just so you know. <laughs> and he says, your son has a very great talent and he's attempting to use that talent against your will. So The Shining, if you guys remember. And Jack kind of is talking to Grady and says that, you know, his mother usually interferes, blah, blah, blah. And then Grady says that they need a good talking to if he does say so himself. He said, I corrected my family, Mm -hmm. sir. So Grady is essentially manipulating Jack, saying, Jack, like, if you haven't already thought about it, you need to get your family into gear and you need to do what you got to do. So he's essentially telling him without telling him, you need to fuck up your fam. Well, yeah. And like he keeps using the term correcting them. And I'm like, yep. what the fuck? Correcting them, which is so fucking weird. And so scary. basically, Jack doesn't have an angel and a devil on his shoulder. He just has a devil right just now. Just a devil. Totally. Yeah. And it's called Mr. Greedy. It is. While this is all happening, Wendy's back in the street and she's like frantically walking across the room, like pacing around, smoking her cigarettes that don't ash, I guess. And she's freaked out. She's freaked out. And she's just like, what do I do? What do I do? And I'm just like, bitch, grab your kid and go. Mm-hmm. But she's kind of resolved that she's okay with maybe leaving without Jack because he's obviously a danger to himself and to his family. So she's doing that. And then fucking we get some shouting from Danny and he's doing his red rum, red rum. He's like freaking out and is like red rum, red rum, just like Ali did. <laughs> and I'm like, I would have taken my kid out of there way before this. Yep. But now she's like, but do I? Anyways, so they're dealing with that. And she goes to check on Danny, who's screaming at rum. And she finds that Danny's in bed, but it's not Danny necessarily. It's Tony. (laughs) 
He says, Danny's gone away. It's Tony now. Jack hears the radio going off as he's walking through the hotel. And he goes to the radio and it's very creepy. At first, I thought he was maybe just going to like unplug the radio or something. Then he like fully takes it apart and unplugs it like internally. And then we get a shot of Mr. Holleran and he calls the Forest Service back and they say that they can't get a hold of anyone at the Overlook Hotel. So I think like at this point, Mr. Holleran is freaking out because he's like, I think he would feel a lot better if he could have at least gotten in contact with someone there at the Overlook. But he's just got this overwhelming bad feeling in his gut. And I appreciate this because I will say to anyone, please follow your gut feeling Mm -hmm. in whatever bad situation that you may be faced with because your gut is probably going to serve you right. And Mr. Holleran not only has The Shining, but has this gut feeling that he cannot contact anyone that he needs to contact in this family that is staying at the Overlook Hotel. And he just like is like, I need to go do something. You know, and he feels probably a connection to Danny too, because they both have The Shining. He's like, I need to save these guys because we don't need a repeat of what happened in 1970. You're perhaps a better person than I am because I would probably be like, "Mm, bummer. So now it's 8 a.m. So that's our new timestamp for where we're at in this So film. like Thursday morning. Yes. Right. Yeah. Halloran is on the first plane out from Miami to Denver. And the plane is like nice as fuck. I am like, if this was what coach was back then, like, damn. let's go back. <laughs> because I feel like airlines are just money hungry and trying to fit as many people in a plane as possible. We're like, why couldn't it be like how this is in this film? <laughs> Spirit airlines <laughs> but anyways so he's on the first plane out that's a dedicated he is shining yeah. man and and he's due to arrive at 8 20 p.m in colorado and then he still has to drive to the overlook so like keep that in mind yep and then when he arrives at the denver airport which is also fucking spooky if you haven't been there so just spooky. look it up Dude, it's like, yeah I told the producer because we had a layover in Denver on our way back home to San Diego from Tulsa after his film premiere. Shout out again. And he didn't know all the shit that goes down in the Denver airport. And I was like, bro, this airport is wild. There's aliens. Anyways, look it up. Look it up. And they actually advertise it in the airport. And they're like, they own it, which is kind of low key awesome. Yeah. They're like, you know what? We get it. We're weird. We're funky. So Halloran has landed in Denver and he calls his buddy up near like closer to the overlook, like down the hill from it. And he's like, yo, hook me up with some transportation. I'm trying to get to the overlook. I'm going to rent a car at the Denver airport. I need you to get me a snowcat. Something funny to me I was reading was Stanley Kubrick loves chess and a guy on the phone with Halloran the like auto shop auto character shop. yeah he was like a chess player and he like brought chess on set and Stanley Kubrick paused filming for the day so he could like battle chess out with this dude and he beat the shit out of him yeah like and I'm he like, like fully fucked him up go off I love this and <laughs> Kubrick wasn't even mad he was just like I love a worthy opponent mm-hmm. like love that for me love that or like them good for that I do love chess as well I, I don't understand the game but let's go Then we're back at the Overlook Hotel and Wendy and Danny are watching cartoons in the suite while Danny eats a little bit of breakfast. And Wendy, she's going to go and talk to Jack and, you know, kind of like make sure things are are cool. They're Gucci. And she goes down to talk to Jack in the Colorado lounge, as we have had many scenes there. And she's actually carrying her bat again because, you know, she's fucking scared as she should carry her bat. So then Wendy, she finds his typewriter actually in the main room and she goes over to read what he wrote 
And this is a very scary point in the film where I feel like we get some solid evidence of him going kind of crazy. And she finds that he has been writing over and over again in different formats the line, all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy. Hundreds of pages. And a fun fact about this is that according to Vivian Kubrick in her making of documentary, Stanley Kubrick's secretary, she actually spent weeks, if not months, typing dozens of pages of this, of all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy for Dude, this scene specifically where Wendy discovers those pages. If I got paid to do that shit, I would 100% do it. I just love that they made it real because as I was watching it, like Wendy, the character is going page by page, Mm -hmm. but there's a huge stack and she obviously doesn't go through every single one of them on camera. And so in my head, I was like, wow, I wonder if they only did so many, like, is there a certain amount that they did, you know, what have you. And I just thought that it was so cool that like they literally had someone practically do all of these. And then if you notice too, some of the pages, like some of the lines are just a little bit amiss. Like mm-hmm. it's it's like real, like someone was like actually, actually typing it. and making small mistakes. So I think it's like really cool and authentic to the film. And the audio of when we hear Jack typing in those scenes. It kind of matches up a little bit. It, no, Kubrick was like, he had somebody record like the audio of somebody typing it as all. All work and no play makes jo- yeah. Jack a dull boy. So he, he put that Scary. in the movie of like him actually typing it out and like doing oh God, that. I love yeah. that. Mm-hmm. Well, so then Jack actually appears after she's looking at all these pages and scares the shit out of Wendy. And he says, well, how do you like it? And obviously she's like, oh, I don't fucking like it. You fucking for, I mean, she doesn't say that, but like, she's looking at him like, of course I don't fucking like it. And he's like, so what are you doing down here? And she says very shakily and very nervously that she just wanted to talk with him, but she's sort of backing up. So this is like a cool scene that they shot where Wendy is sort of, she's backing up as Jack is sort of walking a little bit towards her, but all of this is happening very slowly. No one is like, very quickly going towards each other or anything. And she says that she can't remember exactly what she wanted to talk to him about. But then he starts kind of, again, like walking a little quicker towards her. And then we get a shot of Danny and we see Danny's face and he's fucked up. Like I say fucked up as in like he just looks terrified. And then we also see blood coming out of the elevators again in the hotel, bursting through like a wave. Then again, we're back to Wendy and she's trying to tell Jack that Danny, she wants to talk to him because she really thinks that Danny should see a doctor because she's really concerned about him. And Jack is patronizing her. He is gaslighting her and just kind of being an asshole. He starts telling her that she never thinks about him and all of his responsibilities and that she hasn't thought that he needs to be here for five months and now she wants to leave and take Danny to a doctor and he doesn't really need this, yada, yada, whatever. And then she tells him to stay away from her. And she is starting to actually walk backwards up the stairs while she's still grasping her bat. And this is a very iconic scene. And it apparently took quite a few scenes, right? Yeah, quite a few takes in order to nail. But she's like, dude, please stay away from me. Like, you're, you're kind of freaking me out. She's kind of going backwards up the stairs. And she tells him to stay away from her. And then he says... Very iconic. I, I love this. He's like, I'm not going to hurt you. He goes, Wendy, darling, light of my life. I'm not going to hurt you. I'm, I'm just, just going to bash, bash your brains, brains in. in. 
which is wild to say to someone that you love. So very scary. And then she's kind of swinging the bat at him a little bit as they're walking up the stairs. She's doing it very, like, what's the word? She's doing it very, with like not a lot of enthusiasm, not a lot of energy. She just sort of was like, hey, I have this bat. She's weak. She's weak. She It does, it does portray like weakness. And then she actually swings and hits him and knocks him out. And then we get this scene of her dragging him into the pantry. Also, like, she's, like, small. She's, I did think the exact same thing. I'm like, how did she do this? But honestly, dude, how many times do we hear of, like, shit happening with, like, a mother Mothers, and their child yeah. and they have just, like, a rush of adrenaline and now they have, like, the strength of an ox, Or, you like, know? Edward in Twilight. Uh, <laughs> sure. We're going to make that parallel. And so she actually ends up dragging him. And we see this like shot of him kind of coming in and out of consciousness as she's like dragging him into the pantry. And she takes him into the pantry where they have all the dry goods and she locks him in. And I'm like, okay, good plan. Yes. Very good, 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 plan. good plan. If there wasn't paranormal things at stake. But yeah. Absolutely. And so he's locked in there and she's having a meltdown in the kitchen. And I'm like, bitch, why don't you take your kid and run? Mm-hmm. He's locked in there. But where can she run? I mean, if we're being completely honest. Try something. True. True, true, true. You know. I know. Yeah, there are things she could do. And But I don't think at this point she knows her freaking husband is going to try to kill her. Like she's still trying. I think I think she's still trying to cling to like this is my husband. Like you know, like I, I like she doesn't want to believe that he can do these like absolutely horrible things to her and her son. Okay, Scott Peterson. Different. Sorry. We're, sorry. we're gonna go down that hole okay. on another day. I'm sorry, everyone. <laughs> I watched too many crime documentaries. Yeah, she's scary. But meanwhile, she has her like 12 inch knife. She's grasping and she's. She's like grabbed it from the kitchen knife thing. Yeah. This is like after she locks him in the pantry. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So she's like crying in front of the pantry door. Yep. And Jack. She has the knife. And Jack is like. Oh, he's trying to. He wakes up. Yeah. He's like pleading with her. At first he's like angry. And then he goes into desperation mode. Like Wendy. Which like, is baby. so emotionally manipulative. Yeah. And like Wendy baby like trying trying to like get her. He's like I hurt. My, my head is hurt really bad. Can you please open the door? Yeah, and so he's, like, trying to persuade her to let him out. And the whole time, she's kind of, like, slowly cowering and holding a massive-ass knife. Mm-hmm. She's like, you're going to be okay in here. Like, I'm going to go and bring back a doctor. And this is when he says, well, you've got a big surprise coming to you. Go check out the snow cat and the radio. And then he laughs maniacally. Again, I love that word. And Wendy panics and goes and checks out the snow cat. And she sees that Jack has messed with it. And so now it's inoperable. And obviously, like, the radio is inoperable, too, as well. And, like, she is fucked, but also not, because at this point, she has locked him into the pantry successfully. So she's like, okay, we're chill. Like, we're good. But more is obviously to come. But she does get, like, kind of a moment of she can, like, rest a tiny bit. All right, fam. We are at the very last section of the film with the last little title sequence that says 4 p.m. So Jack is sleeping in the pantry and he kind of starts to come to and, you know, he's been locked in the pantry for a little bit. We don't know exactly how long, probably like a few hours, he like a third of the day. And he's we like should say. bleeding and low key probably concussed. Yeah, he's probably a little concussed, a little confused. What, what have you? 
and he hears some knocking on the door. And we hear that it's fucking Grady, who we all know as a spirit at this point. And Grady says that Jack hasn't really taken care of the business that they had discussed. And that, you know, Jack is like, well, I'll deal with it when I get out of here. So Grady's sort of like giving him shit. Like, why haven't you killed your family yet? Essentially, which is so messed up. And then Grady is actually questioning Jack's ability and saying that his wife is pretty strong and resourceful. And like, you just like basically haven't done what you said you were going to do. He's riling Jack up for sure. And Jack then gives Grady his word that he will do what he needs to do kind of as soon as he gets out of this pantry, however that happens. And he's like, he basically says, I'm looking forward to fucking my family up. Which is crazy. And then we see a scene where the door actually gets unlocked for him. So it's definitely like assumed that Grady unlocks the door. But like for him. in reality, how? Spirits, man. Wow. I know Powerful. you're telling me. <laughs> And then we immediately get a shot of Halloran and he is now driving the snowcat that he had called kind of the auto shop guy for, you know, once he was at the airport in Denver and said, hey, can I borrow like a snowcat? And then we get another shot of Danny and he's walking up to his sleeping mother because, again, Danny and Wendy are kind of resting a little bit, just knowing that Jack is locked in the pantry or at least so they know. Right. So they're thinking like, okay, we're going to figure out what to do from here. But like, let's get a little bit of rest. Like dad's in the pantry. He can't be a psychopath while he's in there. What have you? I have a question for you, Emma. Would you be able to sleep if your psycho potentially killer lover producer were locked in a pantry and trying to maybe kill you? So I'm going to say no, but I'm also a sleepy girl. And I'm going to say maybe like Mm. my mind might trick me enough to say, well, he's locked up. Nothing's going to happen. So like I can take a few Z's. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I think it just depends on the on the person. Mm. The optimist in me, which is very little, is like, no, I wouldn't trust that. And I would leave with my kid. That's the optimist. I know. That's weird, right? Okay. (laughs) Go ahead, please. Keep going. But the tired and lazy in me and the first girl in me is like, "Mm, don't care. Just get chopped. Yeah. Chopped and screwed. Isn't that like a song? I don't know. I'm just going to go lay down in the maze and call it a day. I love that. Well, you might be able to shortly. So So then Danny walks up to his sleeping mother because just like we had kind of mentioned previously, you know, Wendy is like, okay, I can get a, a little bit of Z's right now. And she's sleeping in their suite. And he starts saying red rum over and over again and is saying it very loudly. And then he goes and grabs the knife on Wendy's nightstand. Like the 12 inch like he grabs the knife, knife and some lipstick and he writes red rum on the door next to her. And so Danny starts saying red rum really loud and he actually ends up waking her up. And then as she tries to like kind of grab him and is like, what's going on, sweetie? She sees the word red rum written on the door next to her bed, but she sees it in the reflection of the vanity mirror backwards. The word red rum reads murder and she screams and gets super freaked out so then this is where we start to get some action packed here jack is actually trying he comes up to the suite and because he's now you know as we said he has been released from the pantry and he tries to break down the suite door with an axe I have a fun fact in just a second, but, you know, he tries to tell Wendy, like, as he's, like, 
trying to break down the door like, Wendy, I'm home. And Wendy and Danny actually managed to go into the bathroom because they're like, okay, can we go through like the window here? Can we like, you know, is there a way that we can like potentially escape? And so Wendy, sweet little angel mother, she ends up opening the bathroom window enough so that Danny can actually slip through. And I actually have it in my notes that he slips through the bathroom window and there is a literal kind of like hill of yeah. snow and it looks like really fun because <laughs> she like gets him out the bathroom window and it's right at like the top part of the snow yeah. pile and then she like pushes him out and then he like slides down it looks <laughs> it looks actually like really fun it looks super fun and i'm like also like how convenient huh? yeah and she's trying to get through the window herself and having a really really hard time this and, is weird uh, to me because like i feel like she has a tiny body she does but like the opening in the window in the bathroom though is so small because it's jammed she can't get it fully open you guys so it's like just enough for a little child it's not fair for those of us who have breasts we would never make we it we would never make it because they it, it help it. it like adds some more barrier if we're trying to escape a, a killer in a hotel in colorado yeah <laughs> Bummer. And Jack actually does end up making his way into the suite, but then he's like trying to break down the bathroom door now. And actually a fun fact is for this scene in which Jack breaks down the bathroom door or tries, the, the props department actually built a door for him that could be easily broken, you know, just for the film. But Jack had actually worked already previously. Jack Nicholson had worked previously as a volunteer fire marshal. So random. And so he was able to tear down the door like far too easily. And then they were forced to build a stronger door for him because it was just like way too easy for him to break down which i thought was kind of funny i'm like go off workout king workout king totally also, good for him that's that's amazing totally and we hear jack and he's like little pigs little pigs let me in and he's kind of alluding to you know that childhood nursery rhyme of like the three little pigs and he's like i'll blow your house down and we have this famous scene of wendy and it's really hard to describe but it's like she she is off to the side of the door and she looks horrified and she's holding the knife. And then we see on the very, very side of the shot, we see Jack bashing in the door with the axe. And this is a very iconic scene. If you have not seen the film, please either watch it or go and Google the scene because it is so well done. If you haven't like even seen a reference to the scene, I'm I'm worried. You need to find one. That's all that that's all that happens. And he makes so big of a gash in the door gash in the door and then he kind of puts his face through that gash if you will and he goes here's johnny which is the famous line and something kind of cool in the midst of this horror is that was like an ad lib and he like took it from the johnny carson show yep because Johnny would start every show by saying, here's, here's Johnny. Johnny. So cool. And then Wendy ends up actually slicing his hand a little bit with a knife. So she like kind of gets him to stop trying to get in for a hot second. And then we actually see outside of the bathroom in the front of the hotel, we see Holleran pull up to the Overlook Hotel with the snow cat. And Jack and Wendy can actually kind of hear it pulling up. And Jack sort of gets a little distracted for a second. And I think this is the point where he actually leaves the bathroom. Because I think to him in his head, he's probably like, I need to deal with whoever is here at the hotel right now. And then I'll deal again with my wife later. 
So then Danny actually runs back into the hotel. I'm like, why would you do that? I know. I thought about that too, but he's also a child. Go His find mom's a shed. in there. I know. It's fucking cold as fuck. I mean, he's probably just trying to figure out what to even do. <sighs> okay. And so he's like, little Danny's like, let me hide in the kitchen, almost like Jurassic Park when they hide in some of the silver cabinets while the velociraptor is going through the kitchen. Iconic scene. Okay. You and your Jeff Goldblum. Okay. I didn't even say Jeff, but okay. if you were going to say were thinking it, I'm going to say it. I love Jeff. And Danny, you know, he's in the kitchen and Jack kind of hears like some commotion happening. So he starts sort of looking for Danny in the kitchen, doesn't find him, but then he hears Holleran come into the hotel. So Holleran has, he's gone out from the snowcat. He's now in the hotel and he's, he's like screaming like, hello, like anyone here? And he's not hearing anything. And this is just so sad. And I hate this scene, but we obviously have to talk about it because it's big in the film. But Sweet Holleran is in the hotel. He's in some of the main halls by the kitchen and, you know, like by the Colorado lounge and all of the main areas. And he's like screaming, like, is anyone here? And obviously he doesn't know what's happening. He has no clue that like some scary shit is going down. And as he's like sort of screaming, not screaming, but like sort of like, hello, is anyone here? Jack comes around the corner and Jack yeets him, yeets him with a axe right into his chest. And Jack actually hears Danny screaming because I think Danny, because he was kind of in close proximity in the kitchen, sort of like hears and maybe even sees what happens with Holleran. And we actually see Danny running off out of the cabinet that he was in in the kitchen. And in a separate part of the hotel, Wendy is desperately trying to find her son, Danny. Like she knows that he escaped out the window. She's like trying to find him. There's really creepy music playing, like a very demonic choir. Like is how I can describe it. Like people are singing, but it's very demonic. It's very demonic. And like the scenery is, I don't know, it's it's also demonic. It's like dark and you wouldn't want to be there. And then while she's running around, we she stumbles upon like a series of terrifying things. And the first one of those being she sees a furry, it's called a furry, right? I don't even know, but it's a man dressed as a dog, like in a full dog costume going going down we don't see like the explicit nature of it but they are at the person's knees and it is a person that is dressed in a nice suit so then this next part is danny manages to actually run back outside and jack goes after him and he's looking for him you know trying to do you know what which scares me and danny actually runs into the hedge maze which i love and there's this really cool shot of him like running through from the perspective of like right behind danny like you feel like you are like running through the maze with him and another like a couple of actually like fun facts is the snowy maze near the conclusion of the movie right now is it's actually consisted of 900 tons of salt and crushed styrofoam is how they made all of the snow happen. So then Wendy is still inside the hotel looking for Danny and actually finds Holleran's body from when he got stabbed, which is so heartbreaking. So she sees it. She's terrified. She is just like so scared. And then she ends up seeing another man in a suit as she turns down another hallway. And he has a huge gash down the center of his face. And, and he's he like, says, isn't this party great? Yeah, He's like, great party, <laughs> isn't it? And I'm like, oh, my God, no. So then she runs into one of the main rooms and she sees skeletons galore with webs and it just looks like it has been aged a hundred years with all these like dead skeletons and webs. And like she's definitely getting full fledged just like visions now of this crazy haunted house. 
And then Danny, as he's in the hedge maze, he's trying to throw Jack off with some of his snow prints. Yeah, so he's like being a smart little fucker and he's walking backwards to retrace his steps and then he goes and hides. This is also giving me so much Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. Oh my God, yes. Right? Yes, yes, yes. Yes. And I'm surprised that he's so smart at such a young, tender age and he's just like fighting for his life. And I'm like, go off, Danny. Go off, brother. Yes. And then simultaneously, we see Wendy again and she is inside the hotel still and she looks out the elevator and she sees gallons and gallons of blood coming out of the elevator doors at the hotel, which we've already seen a couple of, you know, little kind of snippets of throughout the film, but we're seeing it like full fledged now in Wendy's eyes and she's like absolutely terrified. I'm just like curious as to like the how are all these supernatural things actually happening? But that's what the imagination's for. <laughs> and then we see Jack and he is following Danny's footprints and the I ones that Ali just said like he was kind of faking. And like Jack keeps calling for Danny being like, Danny. Danny, Danny, Danny. But he starts like not making sense. Like he, he starts like, Danny, Danny. Like it's like very, <laughs> sorry, that was so bad interpretation. But it's like he starts yelling and it's like not even making full sense like what the words are that are coming out of his mouth. But like my, yes, my first instinct would be to run towards my father who's trying to kill who me. Who looks like a freaking psychopath. Who looks like a psychopath and <laughs> totally. is psychotic. I'm just going to run towards him if he's calling my name for sure. Well, then Danny runs out of the hedge maze as fast as he can. He and Wendy actually reunite while Jack is struggling navigating through the maze. And again, he's limping. He seems really delirious. He's kind of like, like he just it's he's losing it, losing it completely. Yeah. And what I will say is once they reunite and they see each other, love that moment. Like I would probably fucking melt as well. I know. Totally. But Wendy, Shelly, she throws her knife in the fucking snow. And I'm like, bitch, keep that like, why weapon. Would you do that? Yeah, keep that weapon. It makes no sense. But I will say, her and Danny, they escape in the snow cat while Jack is screaming for them in the maze. And that's kind of all we see. And then there's a daytime scene. And this is very iconic. You have probably seen many memes of this scene or photos of this scene. It's like a, it's like a, it's like a gif. It is a gif. It is a gif. And it is Jack Nicholson with his iconic eyebrows up, eyes just like looking a gaze. And he, it's a daytime scene of him completely frozen in the snow. It's basically what I look like after I've had like 17 white claws. And right now she's on 16. So you yeah, can understand so what's happening go. next. <laughs> And then we're back in the hotel and we get this slow zoom in shot of one of the hotel hallways. And this hallway has lots of pictures that are framed on it on one of the walls. And it zooms in very slowly to one picture in particular. And as they zoom in, it looks like a big party. There are hundreds of people. It's like a beautiful little black and white party shot. And we see Jack and he is in a suit and looks all snazzy. And it says July 4th ball, 1921. And Jack is in the very, very front of the frame photo. And he looks like he is meant to be there and is just part of this frame photo. Mm -hmm. And then that's it. Film ends. Fiend. Tis fiend. 
But also what I read about that photo is they actually photoshopped, I'm not sure what the technology was back then, but they imposed Jack's face onto an actual 1920s photo to make it look like... Yeah, that's what the producer said. Yeah. Yeah. He said like they didn't have as obviously good of Photoshop back then, but they like did airbrushing, right? To kind of like get him onto this like actual photo from 1921. So we're left with a lot of questions, but Emma, there's probably a lot, but what are your final thoughts? As someone who read the book and has watched the movie extensively, I love this film, but I do have to completely separate it from the book. So I really, really try not to let myself get upset with the way that it was adapted by Stanley Kubrick. I love a lot of Stanley Kubrick films. So I try to just look at it for what it is. And I do like it. How did you feel, Allie? So I'm still fucking confused about this movie. And I haven't (laughs) read the book, but I watched it with my dad. Shout out to Dave. And he kind of told me all of the, well, this didn't happen. Then this happened, all those things. So you know, I have that knowledge. Even beforehand, I watched it and I was like, am I supposed to like it? Because they told me to? Yeah. Or is this something I'm not getting? Like, <laughs> like what's I, the deal here? Yeah, I get that it's like a iconic film. Yeah. But I might be missing something or I'm just like super dumb, which could be super valid. I think there's a lot of deep symbolism of something haunting a structure, a hotel, a person, you know, and that being carried on through like others that come after. So like, you know, with the Overlook Hotel, there was the tragedy that happened in 1970, which Mm -hmm. was carried on into Jack and his family, the Torrance family in this film. But we don't get a lot of answers of like, well, why did the original family go crazy? Like there was nothing that happened till then. And then we also get, just like we talked about, there's a lot of talk of Native American influence, Mm -hmm. what the actual Overlook Hotel was based on, you know, food that we're seeing in the pantry, how Mr. Allman, the manager of the hotel, mentions that, you know, he's like, I'm pretty sure this was built on a a burial ground of Native Americans. It's like, okay, you're just going to so slyly like mention that. It's just kind of crazy. Yeah. And I think this is super subjective, but a good horror film is leaving you being like, what the fuck? I think that there's just like so much deeper meaning. And as someone who's like watching the film, you're kind of meant to kind of come up with your own like thoughts about it. And Calumet actually means peace pipe, which I also just read. Um, And this can symbolize like the broken pieces of the peace pipe between white men and Native Americans. And that kind of also symbolize like the broken pieces between Jack and his family. So if you want to get like really deep into it, I mean, we could talk about this for days, but there's just a lot of symbolism in this film. And I think like Every person that watches it may take away like something different from it. Oh, for sure. Especially since it's now older. 43 years old. old. Yeah. (laughs) Crazy. Yeah. But no, I, it's a good movie. I just like didn't get the whole like everything. But like I said, it's one of my dad's favorite movies. And he used to do like, here's Johnny thing into my door. (laughs) I love that. Yeah. cute yeah no it was cute and, and but not when i was like six i was yeah, like what the fuck no but I, I still love it and he it was fun i got to watch it with him which was awesome and here's my question is there an alternate universe where wendy is the crazy one think about it i've never even thought about that think about it maybe think about it i don't even have thoughts i need to think about it okay. <laughs> well listeners think about that one also i highly recommend 
after researching this film and doing all the stuff we do, I watched Making of the Shining on YouTube, which is done by Stanley Kubrick's daughter. And it's it's free. You can watch it there. And it kind of humanizes the actors in the film because you see all these kind of quote unquote psychos or eccentric characters, but it kind of shows how they went through this film process. And you also get to see what we kind of alluded to is Kubrick being mean to Shelley Duvall, poor gal. <laughs> but no, it's, it's, it's interesting to see the background of how they make it. And my last, what the fuck is, was Jack there the entire time? Cause like when he spoke to Lloyd he was like, you've always been the best bartender. And then we see him in the picture. And he's he just kind of knows the way around the hotel. So I'm like, has Jack been there the entire time? So listeners, here are my two theories. Jack's always been at the hotel or in some former or, you know, current life been at the hotel or Wendy's the crazy one. Wow. I love that take. Thank you. I can relate to the Polar Express too if you want to. <laughs> just kidding. I can't. I'm, I'm okay. <laughs> Ali, did you think that this film was scary? So as a kid, I definitely thought it was scary. This is, like I said, it was one, one of my dad's favorite movies growing up. And as an adult, it's a little harder for me to watch because ADHD, am I right? <laughs> and it's long. It's, it's long. two um, hours and I think like 24 minutes or something. So it's long. But I see the I see why it could be deemed scary. And I read that at one point it was ranked the ninth scariest film on the Entertainment Weekly list. Not sure I agree with that, but hmm. I know. What do you think? I think that it is scary on a real level of like your own family going insane and something potentially happening to like you're supposed to inherently most people, obviously there are people that deal with unfortunate trauma and I'm so sorry for, you know, anyone that has to deal with that and not feel safe with their family. But like inherently when you think of a family, you're supposed to probably feel pretty safe with most of the people that you have in your life. And I think this plays on that fear of like that switching and you all of a sudden not being able to trust the people that you trust most in your life. So I will say there's like an element of fear. Was I like absolutely scared of it? No, but I will say it's freaking dramatic as hell. And I love all of the symbolism and having read the book, like I love the book so much. So highly recommend that for sure. So it's more a psychological fear than definitely like a jump scare. hundred percent. Yeah. And what was your favorite scene? Would you say? That's a really good question. I think I liked for like fucked up weird reasons. I liked the transition between the tall statuesque girl coming out of the tub transition <laughs> into a blob of herself. Love that. Just because it, as a woman, it's like a juxtaposition of like aging, aging. Totally. Yeah. yeah. That's so true. And I was like, yeah, bitch, like you're making out with this beauty. And but she's going to be old soon. Yeah, exactly. Sorry. Mm-hmm. She's still hot. What was your favorite scene? <laughs> My favorite, I think, was when Wendy was reading or like looking through the pages that Jack had typed and she sees just over and over again, all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy in different formats. Like it was just, it was so jarring to see over and over and hundreds of pages with that written. Like, I love that dedication. So good. We also forgot to mention that the producer and Emma had the most iconic <laughs> costumes this past Halloween what were you? We were the Grady sisters or twins or whatever. They're not actually twins, but like they look like it. And uh, yeah, we will reshare it on our Instagram because we killed our costumes. Dedication is seen. 
We fucking did it. Yes. High five, producer. (laughs) Before we wrap things up today, Ali, should we see how we did on trivia? Oh, fuck. I I always forget about that. (laughs) Ha (laughs) ha ha. Okay, so uh, everyone get your answers out for our trivia question. So as a reminder, question number one was, where does Danny first see an apparition of the Grady sisters? Allie, what did you put? I said before they got to the hotel when they were in Denver, Boulder, wherever they're residing. That is correct. And I also put that, I said, at his house, question mark? Yeah. (laughs) No? Okay, so the producer is telling us that we both got it wrong because an apparition and a vision are two different things in the film, apparently, even though they look exactly the same. Okay, question number two. Question number two. According to Mr. Ullman, what year was the Overlook finished being built? What'd you say? 1909. That's what I said. Yay! He said that it started construction in 1907, but that it was not finished being built until 1909. What year was Stephen King's The Shining released? I put 1997. Or excuse me, 1977. Dyslexia is... I was like, excuse me? Okay, Allie won this round because I put 1973 and she put 1977 and she won. What up, bitches? Okay. All right. Well... Thank you all so much for tuning into this episode. I know it's probably a long one and there's just so much with this film. It is like there's just so much symbolism and theories and myths and conspiracy theories. So we appreciate you all for taking a ride with us. And if you have not already left us a five-star review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to us, please leave us a good review. It really helps for people to find us and just helps us to kind of like just get discovered in general by new people searching for similar podcasts. And you can also find us on social media platforms like Instagram and TikTok at Spooky Chicks and Horror I hope everybody had a great holiday season. We're wishing you the best for everything coming in the new year. Also, happy fucking new year, you guys. Set your intentions. Woo! Let, let your light shine. Let Not- your freaking shining shine. Yes. <gasps> and let's fuck some shit up in 2024 Ooh. and stay spooky, fuckers. 